Bienvenue, Kanichiwa. Ni hao, Jambo, Marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 301 on Sunday, the 22nd of October 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of mindfulness. That'll be me. Yeah, yeah that's um, one way to describe you. We're very happy to be joined tonight by uh, Paul Stobbs. How are you doing, Paul? Can you hear us? Are you reading us? Uh, loud and clear. At oh. least, at least the. Uh, the sound doesn't have far to travel through the internet tonight, does it? <laughs> no, as we discovered, no, not at all, not at all. We, yes. uh, we could have done this in person if we'd have known how closely uh, related geographically we are. But alas... <laughs> well, maybe, maybe next time. Yes, maybe next time, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I was saying before I heard you on March podcast, my family thinks I'm crazy. We should say thanks to Mark for uh, helping matchmakers tonight. And uh, you've just have you just recorded a second one with him as well? I have. I think he put it straight behind a paywall from what I saw. <laughs> so uh, oh. I have yet to hear it again. But I did have a talk with him about a month ago. Yeah, um, I think it's his patrons only right now. But I think eventually oh. he does release them. But he just keeps um, like a huge backlog of interviews just to release as, go, as time goes on. So Yeah, I think it's an early access stick, yeah. isn't it? If you sign up for Patreon, you get... You get some bonus content before everyone else. There's a lot of podcasts doing that, aren't there? Mm. I mean, you, you're starting a new podcast, right, Paul? Oh, have you frozen? Can you hear us? Uh, sorry, it glitched out for a second there, but oh, I'm sorry. back. <laughs> um, I was just saying, you, you aren't you starting a new uh, podcast with the missus? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. Me and my wife have started something a little bit more low-key than the kind of stuff I talk about on my channel. A bit more light-hearted, a bit more grounded shall we say because <laughs> yeah, the stuff i talk about is pretty damn out there you know it's 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 up in the sky type of stuff um but we talk about news articles me and my wife some of the craziest stuff going on on the ground level i think we're trying to keep it relatively british as well yeah. um something from uh, the audiences at home um and it's called tales under the big top and we just go through crazy news articles and try and stick to a theme each episode it's, it's a new endeavor and it's a bit of fun it's a good title mm, yeah I like that one. Yeah. You're kind of mixed in your, your sort of clown hypothesis in there as well. The big a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, the, the recent episode is called the clown episode. Um, I got to talk about them a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, was, what was that, four hours, five hours on the clowns? Oh, and I, I kept it under an hour. Wow. It, under an hour. it was literally just me sharing with my wife some of the craziest articles about clown killers and things like that that i've uncovered just just going because it's it's halloween you know let's make it a spooky episode about scary clowns and that's that's all i'm allowed to talk about for the next year i think until the next uh, scary season <laughs> <laughs> i was um i was kind of uh, umming and ahhing really what to talk to you about tonight because um you've been on some of the big shows in the u.s talking about your 
your Nephilim clown hypothesis. Yeah. And it is interesting. I mean, it struck me because, um, what do we say? There's nothing new under the sun. Mm. And when you hear sort of a fresh uh, idea, fresh hypothesis in the conspiracy-related realm, that's automatically interesting. Um, so I did not, you know, so I, I kind of want to talk about it, but I'm also... Can we, can we touch upon it a little bit? Because, Paul, I, I'm the kind of guy who watches the one show, so I'm not really, I'm not really down with the, uh, was it Nef- Napoleon Clown theory? Nephilim Clowns. Can you just yes. give us a little uh, run-through, if even if we don't talk about it for the whole, for the whole sure. show? Sure. Um, so in a, in a nutshell, if I can do this in a, in a quick manner... <laughs> um, <laughs> Challenge. It's... It, it comes from a contrarian Christian perspective, first of all. Um, it's a theory based in the idea that fallen angels mated with human women in the Bible. Talked about in Genesis 6, where it says the sons of God came down and mated with the daughters of men and created giants. Um, a lot of people in mainstream church, uh, kind of the realm, go by the Sethite view, where it's basically the sons of God were referring to just really righteous humans on Seth's side, and they sinned and and then had sex with the bad people on Cain's side, you know, the children of Cain. And somehow that produced giants. But I don't believe that. A lot of people in the conspiracy world do not believe that at all. We think that's a very naive way of viewing things um, as we understand it. And as history outside of the biblical perspective explains it, things came down from the sky and mixed themselves with humans, basically. But you don't have to go for the biblical story. That's pretty much the story all over the earth, you know, for most historical accounts. Um, and they created demigods, giants, monsters, basically. And my theory posits basically that um, through the mixing of the seraphim angels, which were the ones, the watcher class angels that did this, they were serpent-like in nature. So they had um, wide viper-like jaw features, um, sharp feet, and sharp features. No, they were described as flying, fiery serpents. That's what the word seraph means which is where you get the word seraphim from to describe these angels. Uh, thinking of, for example, Quetzalcoatl in the Americas was a feathered serpent's god, or think of the the dragons of China, which were these fiery, long, serpentine, monstrous-looking things. Mm-hmm. Um, dra- you know, dragons are everywhere in historical context, and they were the gods at one point, and these were the seraphim from a biblical perspective. So take that, first of all, some kind of crazy-looking, fiery, feathered-looking serpent creature, man-thing, mixing itself with a human. Um, you you get a hybrid creature it looks, which looks incredibly psychedelic in colour. Uh, so my theory, based on that understanding and many other things, <laughs> basically posits this idea that what we call a clown today in the Western world is a symbol which has been purposefully created by secret societies to represent the offspring we call the Nephilim from these serpentine flying creatures. Um, and that's it summarized extremely quickly. Wow. Extremely quickly. <laughs> okay. Um, and there's, there's a history that it, it goes really far. Even just the invention of the modern clown is, is, a, is a trip in its own right. Um, but, Historically speaking, you know what what I do on my in my work on my channel is I it's more of an anthropological study of folk traditions around the world because there's this there's this thing that most cultures the oldest cultures and the traditions do on every continent it's called ancestor worship and what they tend to do is dress like their ancestors in order to be possessed by them they dress like the thing to attract the thing the spirits now these ancestors don't mean grandma and granddad. 
like we would refer to an ancestor as. They mean the builders of their civilization and their culture, the Nephilim of the ancient past. So they dress like the Nephilim, basically, to be, to channel them. Uh, shamans specifically sometimes are the only ones who are allowed to do this in certain tribes. In other tribes, everyone's allowed to do it. It's, it's fair game. You just have to dress like them to, to be that way. And what I've found is a repeat pattern through all these cultures around the earth that show clownish-like features, uh, white skin, red uh, makeup lips, polka dots as well, um, some kind of headdress with fiery red feathers or red reeds in some way. Um, there's rock art depicting these ancestors uh, creatures, let's say in Australia, the Wangina are a prime example, which they have a huge red afro, pale white skin, uh, polka dot patterned clothing with a neck ruffle, just like we would describe a clown here in the West. And if you basically cherry pick a lot of these features from all of these different cultures, you can mash it all together and create a symbol, like a, a stereotypical caricature, and you would get what we call a clown in the West. And then you find that through secret societies, including, let's say, someone something like the Shriners, for example, they have their own clown sex within each secret society. I think that's a clever way of basically being able to venerate their gods, the demons they work with, the Nephilim, openly in the public without anyone actually realizing that that's what they're doing when they dress that way. It's um, it's a hidden occulted symbol which now I've kind of brought it to the light through my work. It's kind of, People are kind of clocking onto it now, and they're realizing it's kind of been everywhere for an extremely long time. Um, but again, I guess that's as much as I can kind of clarify in a very quick five to ten minute stint there. But there's, there's yeah. hours hours and years of research that went into it. <laughs> well, like, how, 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 much, how many hours of, of this stuff have you put on YouTube? I've got 41 episodes. In a series called The Nephilim Look Like Clowns, which was started in 2016. Um, uh, also, in, if you include all the extra stuff I've done, the podcast included, you know, we're talking up to like 200 hours worth of content, just wow. exploring this idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing the book on it currently as well. Oh, yeah, we should talk about that because you've got a uh, GoFundMe going now, haven't you, for the book? Yeah, it's a pre-order system. Um £100 or more will get you a free signed copy of the book once it's published. Um, just to, just something to help you. <laughs> but basically, copyright costs, editing costs, things like that, publishing costs in the future. It's all kind of just sat there waiting to be used for that and obviously to pay for the delivery costs as well when the book is published. So that's all that's for. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, the, the support's been overwhelming, actually. Um, people are really excited for the book and I'm halfway through it. So I'm 15 chapters into a planned 30 chapters. Um, hopefully it should be uh, dusted and ready to be published by the end of next year. That's cool. the goal. I noticed uh, you recently had uh, Gary Wayne on your show, um, which is, well, I-, I read the Genesis 6 conspiracy probably five or six years ago. I didn't know there was a follow-up book out. Is that recent? It's coming out in October, he tells me. He tells oh, me. right. Yeah, so it's about to come out. It's, uh, I mean, his first book, you read it, it's like 800 pages. It's this thick wedge, which you can use as a doorstop, basically, of just biblical history. And a lot of my work actually in the, is based off of a lot of what he's discussed about where the Nephilim come from. I, right. I agree with his thesis, basically. I, I think he's got it down, you know. Um, and his contrarian view of biblical history is one I, I ascribe to as well. There's minor differences, I suppose, you know, um, I, I theorize about things I don't think he's mentioned and vice versa. So I, I got him on to have a talk. I talked with him in 2017. So it's been about, what, seven years since I last had a chat with the guy. But um, we just picked off where we left off and had a, a deep dive into all sorts of concepts to do with the Nephilim. It was good fun. Yeah, I enjoyed cool. talking with him. 
Um, I imagine people listening, one stumbling block will be the historicity, if you if you like, of Nephilim. Um, yeah. How you know some people will say, oh, it's a mistranslation. It's uh, this or that. Remember when we had years ago, we had uh, Ken Ami on, mm. and he was mainly talking about Nephilim and giants, that sort of mm-hmm. the you know confusion that was there. So. That's one. I think that's the first stumbling block for a lot of people to to sort of accept your theory is to, how do we know the Nephilim are were actually real? And secondly, mm-hmm. my thought is, does it even matter if the people who we're talking about believe it's real? Does it even matter whether they existed or not? Well, I, I would posit that they they do exist, and the evidence is is there in history. There's plenty of rock artwork depicting giants walking among men in every civilization. It's it's as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much undeniable. Um, if you want to go into more recent discoveries, the best we can do now, unfortunately, is look at all the newspaper clippings from the 1800s where they were just digging up these giant bones left, right and center all over the place and talking about it in every single news article and newspaper, as you could imagine. The, these things were insane to look at and they drew up a lot of interest. Um, and every single one of them was basically snatched up by the local authority and disappeared. Yeah, they um, in the Smithsonian, so- didn't they? Pretty much, yeah. Um, and I do a, a short um, paragraph on that in my book, actually. Well, that's it, a, a section, about a good few pages, just summarizing that history. And there was a lot of dodgy stuff going on. There was a lot of um, people taking over the Smithsonian during that time period who had certain um, agendas to push certain ideological belief systems about evolution and things like that. And uh, giants didn't really fit into it, so it kind of the timing of it all and the, the the takeover of the institutions by these characters who were renowned for being staunch evolution theories theorists. Uh, it kind of all plays into that. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, historically speaking, um, every mythology talks about giants, and there's plenty of of remnant artwork, culturally speaking, that talks about monsters, hybrid creatures, and giants. So yeah. I, that's all I would say on that. Yeah. Are you, yeah. do you follow, because I remember when I was reading Gary's book, he's, would you class him as a biblical literalist? So like the text of the Old Testament, you know, he believes every word is literally true. Yes, yes and no. I think I think he's a, a realist as well. I think right. he, he, knows, he knows what to take as allegory and what to take as literalism. Um, but he he doesn't believe the Bible lied at any point, so there's a kind of a difference in that in that respect. And he's he doesn't try and change the interpretation of the Bible to fit his theory. Do you get what I mean? So if if what he's thinking doesn't match up with what he can prove in the Bible, then he he would tend to leave it to the side, you know. But he does obviously explore extra biblical texts, pseudepigraphical texts. Uh, texts which wouldn't be considered biblical canon, but were books of the same time period as well. Um, he, he does try to create a holistic picture, and just just like I try to do as well. Um, so you know, a lot of people would just say it's blasphemy even to consider looking at the Book of Enoch, for example. Um, you mentioned that, yeah. You know, but you can't leave the Book of Enoch out of this if you want to talk about the giants and where they actually came from, bibl- biblically speaking. And Enoch is referenced in the Bible itself by the people who are, you know, are quoting Enoch directly. So I think, you know, it should have been canon, personally. I think there's a bit of a conspiracy to keep it out as well, I, w- I would say. And so would he, you know, <laughs> hence why it's called the Genesis 6 conspiracy, you know. I've had the Book of Enoch on my bookshelf for about ooh, six years, maybe. 
And I just don't have the balls to pick it up yet. It's one of those things where I'm kind of, I don't feel like I, I, I am ready for it. Like I've not done enough preparatory reading. Do you ever get like that with certain texts? You think? Do you ever find them intimidating in that in that way? Sometimes. I mean, I, I'm in a position because I'm writing a book that I have to read all these texts now. I can't just like take people's word for it because I have mm. to reference them myself, you know, and show where I've got the information I'm talking about from directly. So I've been reading all these extra biblical texts and, you know, there's a lot to be said for first Enoch and then second Enoch and third Enoch. A lot of people argue that second and third Enoch are more corrupted later versions of the text where Gnosticism kind of got its grips into the ideology and first Enoch and reading them, I would say that that stands as true. First Enoch to me doesn't seem to have contradicted anything in the Bible. Um, and what it reveals is just because this is the thing about Genesis. It it's a very quick summary of pre-flood history. It's extremely quick. You know, it's there's a lot of detail that is not there in the can, can, uh, canonical Bible of Genesis. It just basically says, you know, God created the heaven and earth, then He created man, and it's kind of quickly summarizing very quickly what He did. It's like, okay, so He created a man, but what was mankind doing for that long period of time before? <laughs> it doesn't go into that detail, and then it very quickly says, you know, then He created um, Adam and Eve in a garden, and then they were kicked out of the garden, and then Cain killed Abel, and it just kind of it's jumping very quickly you know it's not talking about how they were raised for example or what the world was like when they were in this time period it's, there's no details it's just quickly summarizing to get to the point where we can start talking about god's chosen people in abraham it's kind of trying to get there very quickly you know and i think it was written in a way that assumes the people have already read the other books that that explain all of this you know it's mm -hmm. kind of it should know, it's basic knowledge by now what our history is we all know where we come from we don't need to go into the details. The details are in Enoch, in, in Enoch, basically. That's where you'll find out what happened. That's it. It's all there, you know, and it seems like it was basically standard reading of the time. Everybody had known about that history. It was already well documented. Everyone knew about the Watchers. Everyone knew about the, the corruption of man and the flesh that involved. Everyone knew about the fall of Satan and all these type of things and Lucifer. It was all kind of explained already, you know, and it was kind of, of course, that's we all know about this because we're living it. You know, we we see it with our own eyes. It's kind of it goes without saying in many ways. Was because the the early you know the Old Testament is basically a book of genealogies. It's a book that tracks the lineage all the way from Seth through to Jesus Christ. That's what it's trying to to explain. You know, it, it was an uncorrupted, pure bloodline that you can follow all the way back to Adam. That was the point of it. Um, so all these extra books that you see around the outside fill in a lot of these missing details, which people, which you know, are stumbling blocks for a lot of people. Um, if you don't know, for example, that um, mankind was contending with bloodthirsty giants, the flood can seem like quite a cruel decision to make by God until you understand that actually, thank God he did that because we were we were almost wiped out we almost mankind was almost corrupted fully and gone you know and that was the last chance to save his creation us in a sense you know um but if you just see it from the perspective of the the sethite view which is the popular church view that they were just really bad people who just did bad things then it just seems like god was a bit petty and unforgiving you know it's yeah. but when you understand you know these were monstrous 
beasts that were tearing mankind apart and utterly destroying the creation from head to toe and just annihilating the lands and the peoples and everything within it, mixing mankind with animals and doing all sorts of hybridized weird stuff. You can understand why, you know, God would basically hit the reset button before it was too late. A great um, reset. <laughs> in a way, yeah. Um, and uh, this is just the thing, I think um, it, it definitely changes your perspective on these these events which people do often equate to god being a cruel dictator it gives you that perspective as to what was really going on basically and you can be a bit more forgiving i suppose for those decisions um it certainly helped me gain some perspective when i started actually looking into it but most people just never will Uh, you know it's one of those speaking of the flood have you ever or are you interested in sort of pinning down geologically sort of where it was when it happened kind of thing. Are you interested in that sort of end of the last ice age or various different uh, uh, contenders are posited for for a possible, you know, people trying to link the biblical flood to, to uh, geology? Or you not, do you uh, not care? I, I've heard many things over the years about trying to pinpoint what it was like when it was the damage it caused um i heard one person theorize that for example the grand canyon which is this huge tear out of the ground which was said was made over millions of years of water erosion was actually created in like a day very quickly from the immense torrents of water flooding through that area you know um i i did a chapter on the flood um in my book and it went on for a lot longer than i actually anticipated like 18 pages long because I, I went through all the flood myths I could find all around the earth, and it, they're everywhere. It, there wasn't oh, yeah. a part of the earth that wasn't touched by this. You know, it wasn't a one specific geographical location. It seems like some places suffered more than others, but everybody felt this this global flood event. It was, and it's kind of still in the memory, collective memory of humanity, even to this day. Um uh, the the issue for me, for me, which I find a lot of people don't like talking about in my in my group, because obviously within the Christian circles, is I argue that it seems like Noah wasn't the only survivor and his family, and people don't like hearing that because they say well that contradicts the Bible in a way, and I found ways that actually it doesn't technically. And um, we were told in the Bible everything on the dry land was destroyed, not things in the ocean, for example, or on top of the ocean, or within the lands underground, or in the air. You know, wow. um, it just says everything that was on the land was destroyed, basically. And if you understand in terms of just before the flood, it's described in the Book of Jasher that uh, mankind was mixing themselves with animals and creating hybrid creatures. Um, and this is referenced in Genesis where it says all flesh was corrupted. This is kind of what he was hinting at in Jasher, that man took it upon themselves with the help of fallen angels who were still knocking about by that point um, to change their DNA to hybridize themselves. So if you get a fish person, a mermaid, let's say, they can probably survive a flood quite easily. you know. And this is where you get the corruption finding its way into the next after the flood because we do know giants were there after the flood because most of the early stories um of god's people retaking the holy lands the the lands of canaan are full of giants so they got there somehow you know and there's many theories as to how that happened i can't settle the answer on that because this is a debate that's been happening for as long as i've been alive and then some you know this is just goes way back um but there's many ideas Uh, people say the angels came back and did it again mated with women again 
um, my, I posit this idea that the Nephilim likely did survive because of the hybridization of the humans, the corruption of the DNA made its way through through that. And one prime example of this I have is that there's a story of the Canary peoples in um, South America, and they have their own flood myth. And it describes two young brothers surviving the flood by climbing to an extremely high mountain. And somehow they survived long enough for the waters to come back down. Now, if all flesh was corrupted, as the Bible says, and these two brothers were not human, they must have been some kind of hybridized something or other that gave them some kind of hardiness, giving them the capability to survive the flood in some way. So they, were, they weren't human and they got high enough to the peak where they could live without food for a long period of time. Maybe they had the ability to hibernate like a bear or something and not have to eat for the whole winter. You know, maybe they had some ability they'd adapted from another creature to just wait it out long enough not to die, basically. But then this interesting story of these canary peoples is that once the water recedes, these two brothers come down and they're met by two bird women. So sirens, we would call these. And the brothers raped these women and repopulated the entire area with these two women, these two bird hybrid women. And that's just one isolated story, very far removed from the Middle East. You know, that's uh, and they had nothing to do with the the God's chosen people talked about in the Bible. You know, they were a different culture, living a different life with a different thing going on, and they still have this story of a huge flood, yeah. and then the Nephilim hybrid creatures mating afterwards to repopulate the area. And the, the Canary people to this day still believe they are the descendants of these hybrid people. You know, that's how they would call themselves. Um, so there you go. There's many ways they could have survived after the flood. But one thing I've undeniably seen for myself and written about is that a flood did happen. I couldn't pinpoint the timing exactly. There's a yeah. lot of argument today in the conspiracy culture that our timeline is completely messed up. And we've been lied to historically about where, we have, where we're even in it, where we are in the timeline. We have no idea, you know. But the evidence, I think, is there, at least through the oral traditions, that we were rocked by a huge flood. Like... Um, and there were other survivors other than Noah. Um, one major example of a survival story, which is not Noah, is um, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, you have Upnapishtim, which was a, a documented king of the Larsa civilization in the Middle East. He was the 10th documented king of Larsa, the last king, in fact, before everything was decimated and destroyed by the flood. Upnapishtim survives the flood by being told by Enki to make a boat. You know, mm. a lot like Noah was told by God to make a boat, but Enki is a fallen angel and God is God. It's, but, you know, these angels were privy to what was coming. They weren't stupid and they told their offspring, their children, like the kings of the time were Nephilim creatures. They were giants. They went to their own children and said, you better prepare, a flood's coming. So there's a lot of stories all over the earth, not just the uh, Gilgamesh story, which shows um, you know, this this person called Zuizudra or Upnapishtim surviving on a boat, a lot like Noah. Not the same story, not the same person, different background, different history, different post-flood story. Yeah. Uh, Upnapishtim, Upnapishtim was given immortality. Noah died after 300 years. Mm. You know, it's not the same person. They're talking about two separate people. But then a lot of people would argue, uh, I hear this quite a lot, well, they have a flood story. Noah's just a copy of it because yes, they're old. Yes, yeah. And it's kind of like, no, that's not what was going on. These are just different stories of different people, you know. And right. It's a question of perspective, isn't it? A lot of the naysayers, they, they see these similar stories and say they're derivative. They're, they're a monomyth that derived from a single source. But what you were saying yeah. is, no, these are separate stories happening in different locations around the same time, presumably. Yeah. And they're separate. They're not derivative. Yeah, and... and 
and the names can often change and uh, because you find a lot of these stories scattered all over the earth are similar to Noah's story. And if you go off the Tower of Babel incident, not long after the flood, the peoples all got together into one place and they all spoke one language. So they very likely all in that civilization and culture shared a lot of stories about their own survival, you know, and they all heard about Noah, for example, and what's your story, you know, how did you survive type of thing? And then the languages were confused and they were sent out. So it's very likely a lot of people are telling the same stories with different languages. So they have different interpretations, for example, and stylistic choices of describing it. So you do get a lot of that going on. Uh, A lot of the myths I listen to are either a copy of the Noah story, a survival of a weird-like human who can do supernatural things, somehow surviving the flood in a very lucky way, stories of human-like creatures climbing to very high places, and some of them somehow change the physiology and manage to shrink to go inside a pot or something like that. There's some very odd, very odd stories, you know, but some of them are retelling the Noah story. Some of them are telling stories of other giants who survived in other means, like hollowing out a tree trunk, for example, is what a very common one and not building a boat necessarily, but making a very quick makeshift craft very quickly with whatever they could find. That's a very common one or climbing to a very high place. The, the the main survival stories um and i i tend to believe they're all pretty much true and telling the same story um because biblical history explains that there were giants in the earth before and after mm-hmm. and that's how, that's how it was there you know so when people argue with me saying no i can't have been the only one to survive it's kind of well the Bible does tell you they were there before and after so i don't know you tell me <laughs> you know <laughs> it's and uh i, I I tend not to think there's a contradiction simply because it does say what was on the land was destroyed. And boats aren't on land. They always stay above the water. Even when the water's rising, they stay on top of the water. You know, that's, it's kind of like a legalist argument, I suppose, technically speaking, you know, (laughs) Uh, but uh, these things count. These things matter when we know that they they were certainly there after the flood. So we have to find the answer for that and square it with biblical theology at the same time. So. What happened to them now? Where where are they now? What happened to them after that? Right, well, the Nephilim, when they die, because they aren't technically supposed to exist, um, their spirit or nefesh, as it's described, stays on the earth. And it's described that they become wandering spirits. And they're kind of still here, basically. And this is what we call demons today. And it's what many cultures and folk traditions call ancestor spirits. So that's where they are. Physically speaking, most of them were pretty much wiped out. Um, the, the story of, of uh, you know, Israel wiping out the people of the lands of Canaan is a story of wiping out the remnants of the Nephilim after the flood. Uh, most of the, po- the pre-flood Nephilim were wiped out. It's described in Enoch that as a punishment for the angels who did this, who made these monsters, they had to watch their beloved ones, so the giants they created, kill each other. Uh, so the OG giants, the first ones, the huge ones, the ones the size of mountains, you know, they were wiped out. They killed each other. They they basically, they, they weren't very smart from what we gather. And they basically thought, I want to be the only one in control. So they started fighting each other for power, basically. And then oh, they turned human. on. Yeah. And, and then they turned on their own parents, the angels, because they, they wanted to be the only gods on earth. They thought they could beat their own creators. And this is where you get myths like uh, the Clash of the Titans, 
which is the story of the Olymp- gods of Olymp- Mount Olympus fighting the giant titans of the earth. You know, it's the same story that you see in Enoch, just stylized throughout different cultures all around the earth. Um, so a lot of them were wiped out in the initial culling as a punishment. Then the angels who created them were bound in chains. Some rebellious angels who didn't have sex with women were still knocking about. So there was a period of time after that where that's where the corruption was going on with humans. They started mixing DNA together. It's kind of a new way of doing it without having to have sex with people. We'll just make the people corrupt themselves. Do you get what I mean? And this is where all the the centaurs, the mermaids, the sirens, these these hybrid creatures started to appear around that time. And then there was a flood. Uh, so most of them, these corrupted vessels, these Nephilim creatures were wiped out in battles and then the flood. And then there was a remnant that barely made it through to the other side and started to repopulate, centralized into a location in the Middle East we call Canaan. That seems to be where they all converged in some way. Um, And then there was a decree to wipe them all out, and that's pretty much what happened, but they didn't get them all. Um, um, They they failed to get them all in the end. We're talking uh, about Joshua here. Yes. Right. Um, and it, you know Israel was punished accordingly because of that. You know, um, they basically lost the foothold of that land as a result. They didn't fulfill the covenant basically in that respect. Um, but it's said today that the bloodlines of these secret societies and those who control the world believe they are the descendants of these Nephilim creatures. So, in terms of a physical presence on the earth, you do have humans who do legitimately believe they have the divine right to rule over mankind by nature of being part divine because they think they are the descendants of the Nephilim. And this is why we have secret societies. This is why we have these kingships and ancient bloodlines, these serpent bloodlines, they would describe themselves. Um, and Gary Wayne goes into it into a, a lot more detail than I can, but yeah, it's trippy. He's going to name some names, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I was kind of joking, most, but go ahead. Most, most, most European bloodlines in in um, you know, most of Europe, basically, I would say the kingships there were pretty much descendants of the Nephilim, is what they believe. It's, that's why they believe they have it. You know, is this so related to blue blood? Yes, that's that's the idea. That's the concept. Right. Um, it's it's people say, well, it's my God given right to rule, but what they mean when they say gods is they have angel blood in them. That's basically what they're trying to say, that they have the dragon's blood, the serpent blood. Um, and you'll find even in England, you know, in, in London, dragons are everywhere. They're on everything. It's like, there's a reason for that. You know, they're trying to hint at something. And it's as the occult works, no, it's, it, we're not supposed to know that. We're not supposed to interpret those symbols for what they actually mean. It's kind of been hidden from us for a long time. But they're kind of telling you what, what they believe all the time, as long as you just do a bit of research into the occult and the symbolism behind it. But uh, yeah, that that's this this is the only way I can describe where the Nephilim are in a physical sense. And um, there may be some. To be honest, I think we're all kind of corrupted a little bit now. Maybe I'm not sure. Maybe not. You know, or maybe not all of us. But I think there may be a contingent of humanity that's so watered down and diluted that you wouldn't even be able to tell if you met one. We all look kind of human now it's you know we're not giants you know with psychedelic reptile features i don't think that really exists um and like i said a lot of these people who claim you know that person over there is one of them you know you look at them and you think well they look very human 
you know, so what are we going off exactly? Um, I wonder I if think- this is what 23andMe are doing on the sly. They're collecting everyone's DNA so they can cross-reference <laughs> for Nephilim blood. I've heard that theory before, you know. And oh, I, oh, there's nothing new under I, the sun. I, no, I don't know. I, I am suspect of these DNA things. Like, why do you want our DNA so much? You know, someone's making a record somewhere, aren't they? But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's it's fun to speculate. What I do know about the spiritual sense is that we do have this demonic phenomena, this problem of not only people channeling demons in these folk traditions and purposely being possessed by them willingly by dressing like them, but we do have this pesky thing called demonic possession in the West, which people suffer from, you know, where they have been tormented by beings they think are inside of them. And that squares with the agenda of the Nephilim. You know, these are creatures that were once kings and rulers who are now disembodied and it's described that, you know, they wander in dry places, they hunger and thirst, but have no senses to satisfy those desires and cravings. So what they do is they try to get into you if they can, and they will live vicariously through your senses and make you do the things that they want to experience and experience it through your body. And that's what possession is really all about. And that's what is possessing you. It's these Nephilim creatures, these once great giants that were on the earth at some point and the the number is legion they are by the thousands you know they they're there's millions of them <laughs> and it's a serious issue and it's kind of what jesus came for to give us a means and a way not only to save us through salvation you know and and solve the issue of original sin but also to give us a way to fight against these things by giving us authority over them to cast them out of people. And that's what a lot of his ministry was. It was going around casting demons out of people to prove through example that even the demons bow down to him. Even he has authority over these demons because that's that's the rule. No, they're weak. They're a defeated enemy at the end of the day. Um, and they were a serious issue before he came along and gave us an ability to actually do something about it. So, People were in awe at witnessing somebody going around casting demons out. <laughs> you know, they were like, no one's ever been able to do this before. You know, we, this is something we just had to deal with for thousands of years. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of this person has actually defeated them, you know, and it was a big deal. And the, the problem never went away today. This is the thing. We just don't believe in that anymore in the West. We've kind of, that's just fairy tales and nonsense. But you'll find thousands of people talking about their experiences with demonic entities and creatures even to this day you know and do you, do you follow jerry marzinski paul yeah i've i've talked to him i've had oh, him on the you? channel oh excellent right. i have yeah, yeah he's, a, he's an amazing yeah he's seen it all and he's not a religious person you know what i mean he just worked in the prison system he, he wasn't when he started at least well no no absolutely not um you know i don't think he's a christian about it and that's fair enough but he doesn't deny at all that these things have a consciousness that is very distinct and unique. These people aren't making it up, these schizophrenics, you know, and they, they have an agenda. <laughs> you know, these these entities are working together, you know, and they actually have a hierarchy in some weird way. And they have they have a plan, you know, and they they feed off of people's energies, literally. Like they they produce fear on purpose to get energy from it. And his stories are wild. Oh, the yeah. things he's he's seen you know and yeah, he's yeah, been but... on he's been on dom and chris's show uh sheep farm numerous times and it's uh he's really fascinating all all yeah. i'll say all i say, i'm thick as fuck so if i start talking latin call a priest <laughs> i don't know the first <laughs> well, word of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what people who actually you can see videos of people who in let's say Africa or um, a, a lot of heavily pagan cultures where they have these ancestor spirit cults. Um, you, you can find videos of people being possessed by demons and they do start talking in a weird language and they start convulsing and twisting their limbs in ways no human being would willingly do to themselves. You know, they cut themselves, uh, they make themselves bleed hideously and their eyes go insane. You're like, they actually, and it's, it's not, it's not human. <laughs> Whatever's going on there is something bizarre and supernatural and it's actually quite weird to, to, to behold um and with the age of the internet you can find these things now everyone's got a phone everyone's got a camera you know so it's a lot more readily available to actually see evidence of, of the possession in real time and it's not like the movies it's not like exorcist mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's actually sometimes it's a lot more subtle you know but in these places where the demons don't have to hide because christianity doesn't have a foothold they're in cultures where that haven't changed for thousands of years, you know, and they still have their folk ancestor worship traditions. They're not really hiding it. You know, they're, they're out in the open possessing people and doing crazy stuff to the people they possess out in the open to everyone else who's witnessing it because they revel in it and the people there worship them. They don't have a problem with them. But in the West, we're, we're a heavily Christianized society it's more dangerous for demons to be more open and overt about what they do and how they operate. And, and, you know, and it's more optimal for them here to stay hidden and not let the person know they, they're in them. Because as soon as the person figures it out, they could then figure out that they can cast them out using Jesus. And that's just not optimal. That's not ideal for a demon. So they tend not to reveal themselves as much, you know, in the, in the West. And that's why we have more of an occult society here when it comes to witchcraft. It's more hidden. It's in the shadows. You have to go through the adept levels. You have to be initiated, you know, you got to keep the secret type of thing. But in these other cultures, like say in Africa or in some places in India and um, just all over the earth, they all have their own folk traditions there, you know, everywhere in Siberia as well, in Australia, uh, many Aboriginal cultures of many continents it's just not, it's not a secret. They know what they're doing. I'm dressing like my ancestors so they can possess me and everyone's cool with it, you know, mm. but it's different for us. That's why we have symbols instead and why we ha- we have costumes like the clown, for example, which we are told is just something fun for the kids. And that's as deep as we're told to ever go with it. But they now get to, because we believe that, dress like demons and be possessed by them and we wouldn't know we would just think they're dressing like a clown to entertain the kids. It's just a bit of fun because we're ignorant. But, you know, dressing like the thing to evoke the thing is a well understood normal practice everywhere else in around the world. So why but do you think us- we we bother trying to cast them out? You just leave them to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they tend to ruin people's lives. Um, th- there is a spiritual war at play here at the end of the day. It's not simply that they're just, they're just harmless. They're not harmless. Like they cause people to go insane, kill themselves, lose their own grip on reality and mind. Um, the, the demons themselves are highly perverted. They make people do things that they shouldn't be doing, you know, um, horrible, heinous things to people of all sizes and ages. You know, it's, this is this not good <laughs> like being possessed by a demon is in no way a good thing um it just begs the question jimmy savile doesn't it was jimmy savile possessed by <laughs> yeah. nephilim uh well likely a legion of them yeah <laughs> likely 
I think it's funny actually because they, I think they just done a, a documentary kind of retelling his story on the BBC or something. I've, I've been seeing clips of that around. Where there's a scene where he's dressed like a jester in a hospital for some reason. I think you know I I, I see that as a subtle wink and nod personally because of my own research there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend demonic possession. Let's put it that way. I, I, you know, there's better things to do with your life. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, you know, when you were talking earlier about the clowns and the links to the um to the royal families in the crown and stuff what was yeah. the uh i suppose is there a link to like that jester role in the royal court and you i know you just reminded me then what i was thinking about earlier um yeah well you have to understand uh, the the first jesters and clowns came around in greek theater and roman performative street performers um this is just before the collapse of rome um so around 500 um i think 500 ad is when the, the the collapse was kind of in full swing and uh, Christian thinking was taking over uh, the Roman Empire. And a lot of these Roman performers um, kind of weren't really allowed to work publicly and openly anymore. It was frowned upon. It was considered things of the devil to do that kind of thing, to be actors and performers, to lie to people, you know, and pretend to be other things that you're not. So it's kind of what people refer to as the Dark Ages, that thousand-year period from there to the 1600s where there was a renaissance of art, you know. There was kind of a quiet zone throughout medieval European history where there weren't really many performances like theatre acts and things like that. And when when they were, it was always showing devils and demons, you know, and the jester and the joker was always representing the, the devil figure in these acts you know and you found a lot of these performers had to basically do private shows for the rich and influent influential and that's where you started to get court jesters becoming a thing only the rich got to have the entertainers coming and 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 you know schmooze and make all the the rich people laugh in the banquet halls type of thing you know that's where the jester role started to come a courtly thing as you find during that period mainly um but there's people have theorized, you know, that there's this thing, what are they called? Um, the Comprachicos were a group of people who would create human oddities. So they would deform babies at birth and by putting them in, making them grow in jars. So their limbs would deform in weird ways and they would, they would create freaks, basically. And a lot of these were considered by the rich aristocracy of the time as like a commodity to own. I have my own freak jester court fool who's like a weird dwarf-like deformed creature, you know, and the sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, basically. But these were just human babies who were sold and then deformed and forced to be grown in a weird way through like forced, like putting boards in certain places and tying them there and keeping them there for like years and years and years, you know, just doing stuff to them to, to warp the way they looked physically. And, the rich aristocracy having the sixth sense of humor they had thought this was hilarious. So they would buy them and have them in their court foolery or jesters, you know, and they would make them dress in that way. So you'll find a lot of grotesque artwork depicting these really deformed jesters around this period of time as well. Um, I mean, symbolically speaking, I don't think there's much to do with the Nephilim and the jester directly. Um, But there was definitely some weird, horrible stuff going on with jesters around that time. And like I said, most of the time, the jester itself was based on a demon figure from medieval theater. It was the same costume, the same idea. Um, and also it was based on someone called Arlicino, which developed out of the um, Comida l'art movement. So kicked out of Rome, collapse of Rome, 500 AD. A lot of these performers formed troops 
um, which went around medieval Europe, traveling from city to city, putting on shows wherever they were welcome. Because like, obviously, a like first... the troubadours. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's what I mean. But this was called right. the the Italian version. This was right. their. It was called Comedie dell'arte. Okay, and they had the stock characters, which were usually like. Uh, the rich man, the soldier, the the daughter of the rich man, the servant, the slave, you know, just just regular stock characters of every society that people would recognize. And they would put them in fun improvisational scenes on the stage. They would travel from like town hall to town hall, build a quick stage, do some performances, take some money in a hat, move to the next place. And th- that went on for a long time. And that developed into quite a, an interesting cast of characters and one which got incorporated into the comedial arts was this character called Arlecchino, which was based on the wild man tradition of Europe. So you find as they were traveling around, they noticed every single like the city they went to and every, wherever they went in Europe, they all had the same kind of weird folk tradition of venerating or fearing the wild man, which was like a tall giant hairy creature with a club. Right. And um, in French mythology, this was known as Helikins. And so that's where you get the name Harlequin. Harlequin. Right. That's where it comes from. Yeah. So uh, Harlequin himself, which was the first proto devilish clown character, was literally based on a devil or a demon or a Nephilim giant called a wild man. That's literally what it is. Like, th- th- historically speaking, a clown has its roots in a direct representation of a Nephilim giant. It just does, historically speaking. There's no denying it. You know what I mean? Um, so, and it's all this is all it documented. This is this documented history. You know, this is not unknown. It's just not really talked about. Why would you bother to find all this stuff out? They're just a bunch of performers. It's a bit of fun. Get over it. Is what most people think about it. You know, but I'm looking for these root causes, and you'll find Harlequin coming out of the medieval period. Um, obviously, like I said, jesters were kind of inspired by the similar character, but Harlequin was also inspired by the devilish um the devilish jester we'll call it which was in medieval plays mixed in with helikins mixed in with characters from the mediterranean such as uh hermes and dionysus and these other people who had weird staffs magical staffs called the caduceus and things yeah. like that yeah. and had like they could fly and they were really quick-witted and could jump about and acrobatic in nature harlequin was all of these things harlequin had his slapstick instead of the club or instead of the caduceus And with the slapstick, he could slap the stage and make it change suddenly like he had magical powers, like a demon, you know. And that was kind of his shtick. And the comedy would arise from him playing with his stick like it was a phallus, which is very Dionysian in nature, the phallic god symbol worship. So Harlequin was quintessentially a demon. That's what his character was supposed to be. He was the demon character in the Comédie de l'Arts play where the comedy came from. You know, the interactions that came from the interactions with Harlequin. However, it changed as it went up to, to England throughout the, the hundred, hundreds of years after that. So the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century, it kind of spread north into England, this tradition of the Harlequinade, and it became the pantomime in the UK. Right. And by this point in the 1800s, 1700s coming up to the 1800s, the pantomime was like a drama. And at the end, they would do the Harlequinade, which would be... And all the characters would change into the stock joke characters. And you had Harlequin, Clown, Pantaloon, Columbine, and I think another zany character. I can't remember what it was now. Um, and they, they basically just, com- just a comedy show would happen at the end of all the serious drama for like an hour. And it was a, an intense chase scene where, where basically 
Harlequin steals the daughter of the rich man, Columbine, and tries to run away with her. And then a chase scene would ensue. And trying to catch Harlequin is where the comedy came from. And that's that's what happened in Britain. Um, and we had a clown character. This is where clowns started to become a, a thing as we know it today. And it was based on the clown character of the French theatre performances, which was known as... Um, Pag- it's not Pagliacci, it's the, it's the other one. I can't remember, it begins with P anyway. But he was a sad sack, weird-looking, white-faced clown with black pom-poms and a cone hat with black pom-poms, a big baggy white sheet. You know, and it, it's Puero, that's the name. Puero was the clown. And he was kind of like a sad, doting, lovesick idiot who wanted Columbine, but she wanted Harlequin. So he, everyone laughed at him because he was the pathetic loser who couldn't get the girl. She wanted the Chad Harlequin instead, you know, and it was, like, it was that kind of thing, you know what I mean? And um, the British clown wasn't that. The British clown was like a, a loutish drunk, you know what I mean? And like just fell over and was foolish and idiotic in a way. But as time went on, Harlequin was no longer becoming that devilish character. He was just this weird, boring person who just ran away with the woman and could do a load of tricks. But he didn't have that edge he used to have in the 1600s where he was who would act like a devil. So it was kind of a vacuum for that character to be filled. And the British clown took over and became what Harlequin originally was. He became the vicious, demonic, witty, evil character who would always be scheming, selfish, self-centered, and made rude jokes. So that's where the British clown kind of became Harlequin. And Harlequin just became this weird, lame, dotish stock character who was just a shadow of his former self. You know what I mean? Didn't really act in any way he used to act originally. Uh, So there was that role switch in the 1800s. And there was also a costume change around the same time. Charles Dibdin was the owner of Sadler's Wells and Drury Lane's theatres at the time. And he was a well-known Freemason in the the Leicestershire Lodge. He was known for making uh, nautical music for maritime sailors. Um, And he basically was like a a mogul for the entertainment industry in London at that time. He was just a big player, you know. And just like we have secret societies running the Illuminati music industry today – in a sense, we had the Illuminati running the, the entertainment industry then as well in the 1800s. They owned all the theatres, you know. And he decided to make a costume change in the 1800s. And he um, changed the clown costume from boring white servant garb to psychedelic coloured, fractaled, weird frills um, yeah. like we have today. And that also came with Harlequin's costume becoming a bit more skin tight, having a sailor's hat and a basic um, flat mask. Prior to that, Harlequin's mask was actually a hairy beast type thing with an ugly nose. But it it became this really live, delicate, eloquent um, face mask, you know, and the clown instead became the ugly, violent beast demon character. So that switch was made intentionally, I think. I think because the actor at the time, who's Joseph Grimaldi, he was like, as far as fame goes, he was a rock star for the period. You know, like Joseph Grimaldi was the best performer people have ever seen in their entire lives in the 1800s. He he was insane. He brought clown to life. Before that, clown was just a background character. Now everyone was obsessed with clown. So clown became the lead in the Harlequin odds. And and Harlequin was gone. He was just a back character now. And now clown was the star of the show. And at the same time this happened... 
the costume change happened, which looked eerily similar to the type of things people wear in these folk traditional cultures where they're venerating and worshipping demons. You know, So with the involvement of a Freemason in that decision, around the same time, circuses were starting to grow, which were all Freemason owned as well. Um, you have, for example, the Ringling Brothers and B.T. Barnum and Bailey. Um, I think uh, I think P.T. Barnum was the one who came up with the phrase, it's a sucker born every minute. I think he's <laughs> I guess something like that. And he started the biggest circuses known to man, you know, in America especially. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, Joseph Grimaldi invents this clown character, so we're told, but really it was a Freemason called Charles Dibdin, but no one talks about that invented the, this this new costume which was copied from then on and it was basically the psychedelic clown costume we have today which i believe was inspired by the folk traditional ancestor worship cultures he would have been very privy to because he's a part of a secret society that venerates demons so he knows what they look like and i think he inserted it into the most popular art form of the time which was the theater shows at jury lane the pantomime so he took over the industry and inserted his demonic characters into it using the famous people people idolized at the time, Joseph Grimaldi. It's the same tactic they do today, you know, and it just, they just did it in a really old school way in the 1800s. And since then, you know, Joey is the name people call clowns today based off Joseph Grimaldi. He was the patsy. He's the one given all the credit, but he had nothing to do with it. It was Freemason design from start to finish, basically. And then circuses appear. And you'll find what a circus truly is. And the, tr- the first circus performances in America, especially, which were all Freemason owned. Every Ringling Brother was a Freemason. Uh, P.T. Barnum and Bailey was a, were, were all Freemasons. And they all got together. And they did a huge show called uh, King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Oh, wow. How and, apt. And, yeah, and every single thing in that show was created through Freemason-affiliated organizations. All the costumes oh. were, were, were created and sewn together by the same companies who make all the costumes for Freemasons in their lodge rituals. Okay, and what they basically did, and this, again, I've got the, I've got the receipts, I've got all the words and the documented history for this. They basically put their rituals, which would normally be in a small lodge hidden away somewhere, on the big stage in a circus. That's what they did. They transferred it from hidden to public. So they were externalizing their own hierarchy there. But the people who paid to come and see it and give energy to the huge ritual thought it was just a bit of fun for the kids with funny clowns. But what what is a clown but a representation of demons? Who is King Solomon but the Lord of the Ring, the Ringmaster, the one who had the ring to control the demons, you know? And the Ringmaster in any circus wears a top hat and has this outfit on with the cane. And not only a reference to Cain, the father of Freemasonry, the the one it originally all goes back to where the corruption began. But if you go to any Freemason lodge, the grand worshipful master, the leader of the ritual in a lodge, is the only one allowed to wear a top hat. And that's the ringmaster of, of a circus. So it's all just allegorical copies of Freemason ritual manifested into what we call a circus performance of the time. And for a long time, circuses were big money. Mm. These, these were huge rituals being put on, huge performative rituals, basically summoning demons on a mass public scale, <laughs> you know, with clowns involved in everything who are the symbol for the demons, people dressing like the things to evoke the things in a literal ritualistic circle called the, called the ring of a circus. As time has gone on, circuses are a bit old school now. We have TV. It's evolved a bit. You know, um, I say evolved a bit. They're not subtle anymore in any way, shape or form, if you look at modern media. But it's uh, 
people have moved on from circuses they're kind of a, a remnant a relic of the past but if you look through the history of it all it's it's all satanic in nature very quite literally this is wild isn't it? it's wild stuff it's crazy it made me think um it puts a new perspective on the court jester having this very unique and special role at court as being the only person mm. there who can sort of make fun of the sovereign mm. and you know it sort of flips that that relationship there you think well yeah the blue blood knows who the jester represents at a, mm-hmm. at a spiritual level or a symbolic level and maybe that's why he's allowed to get away with taking the piss out of the king or the queen or whoever mm. which oh, is, absolutely uh, absolutely yeah no you're right puts um, a new spin on it doesn't it it does. It certainly does. Like I said, these people are, know what they truly represent. It's kind yeah. of, well, you know, that person's dressed like one of my gods. I better treat it, kind of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because if you dress like the thing, you're trying to think. And this is the irony, you know, in, in the West, we've kind of been told this crock of lies. Mm. And a lot, a lot of places in Europe believe this, but we kind of believe if you dress like something, you can fool it into not attacking you or scare it away. We have the opposite worldview here in the West. You know, we have... um there's a tradition called the cookery in uh, Bulgaria and a lot of um, Eastern European and Mediterranean cultures. In fact, most of Europe has a wild man tradition, as I mentioned earlier, but the cookery is a very ancient one. It's not changed at all. It's not been tainted. It's kind of maintained its roots for thousands of years and hasn't changed at all. And they dress like these incredibly hairy, wild, sharp teeth, horned beasts. And the theory behind it is you're dressing like it to ward away evil spirits before Lent. And it's been a highly Christianized kind of thing where it's like it's a it's a period of extreme excess before fasting. Do you know what I mean? It's Ash Wednesday. It's the Lent period, the fasting period, um, that just before the the darkness comes in and you know to scare away the dark spirits type of stuff. It's like a mix of paganism mixed with Roman Catholic Catholicism. It's a weird European thing we have going on, um, but we seem to believe for some reason that dressing like a demon is going to scare one away. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. And never, never, ever. Why would that make any sense whatsoever when every other culture on the earth knows full well, no, I dress like it so it will come into me. <laughs> you know, I am dressing like it to invite it, not scare it away. It's just us who have this stupid, imagined, nonsensical worldview that, oh, dressing like something, well, you know, it either means nothing at all or it'll scare away evil demons. It's kind of like, that's, that's just naive. That's just kind of silly when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the way we view it. And that's kind of how in the dark we really are, in a sense, about it in the West. Um, and I think me revealing what the symbol of a clown means has kind of made people start thinking a little bit. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I think that's why it resonates with people quite a lot. Because you know, I, I didn't think I'd be the guy talking about clowns. I didn't grow up with <laughs> Self to be this guy talking about what a symbol of a bloody clown means it's, it's just something i i happen to uncover and i'm i'm now i'm just that guy now you know but um, one thing so- I, do, I don't understand about all this is if clowns are giants why do they have such small cars <laughs> i can explain that i can explain that all right you ready ready okay <laughs> right so first of all let's break down the symbol of a clown why is it a representation of a nephilim we need to know that first, okay? So most Nephilim creatures are described as having white skin and red hair. Uh, outside biblical sources confer this, and you can kind of in, get hints of it from the Bible itself. But most representations in these folk traditional cultures represent their demons as having pale white skin and red hair. That's the basis of a clown. 
That's the basic. That's all you need, first of all, to start making a clown. Okay, that's the base. So let's start from there. The clowns have big, wide red smiles. This is because they have serpentine features inherited from their fathers, the Nephilim. So they can open their mouths really wide like a snake. Serpents can dislocate their jaws to eat their prey, for example. This is just a feature they picked up from their parents, so clowns have been given the same wide smile. They have red all the way around it, only because imagine a lizard with human lips. It would look pretty trippy, okay? And they'd have red lips, you know what I mean? But not only that, it could be a symbolic reference to the, the fact that they were blood drinkers. They ate humans, and they reveled in drinking the blood which had the life in it, as it's described in the Bible. And that could be a symbolic of them being smeared with blood as well around the mouth. Hence why they have a red nose. It could be that it was also dipped in blood through eating people. But however, pale skin actually comes with a weird consequence. And it's called the curse of the Celts in modern day, uh, modern medicine. And basically we have this issue where pale people suffer from extreme rosacea in some cases. And it's only really something white Europeans have to deal with. And it also comes with high iron in the blood as well. Hemochromatosis is called. And this really is predominantly 99.9% an issue really pale northern white people have to deal with. Okay. I might, I might actually have hemochromatosis. I'm going through the doctors right now to, to see what's going on because I have high iron in my blood. But it can come with a consequence of having extreme rosacea which is blotchy red patches all over your pale white skin, which is polka dot patterns. But not only that, it can also cause something called a rhinophyma, which is where the nose gets really bulbous and red and starts growing. And it can look like a clown nose in extreme cases. And this is only something that people with extremely pale skin suffer from. And the Nephilim had the palest skin. They had porcelain white skin. So it could be a genetic defect which caused their noses to become bulbous and rhinophimid, which is why the modern clown representation wears a big bright red nose. So that's where that could come from. Clowns are often depicted with a slit going down the eye. This is a serpentine eye slit. That's what it represents. But also a cross can represent that they are dead creatures. They are disembodied spirits now. They are basically just the living dead in a sense, you know, they, they have no body, but they still live on the earth in spirit form. So it's twofold with the crosses and um, often the wig they wear accentuates a really high forehead or a cone head or a pinhead of some way. Nephilim skulls found all around the earth in the Inca area, predominantly have elongated skulls. Elongated. And that's uh, how you often see a clown depicted. They always have a really big, huge, pointed, wide head with the hair to accentuate it coming out of the sides. The hair can often be in a jester-like horn shape. Think Crusty the Clown, for example. Um, this is where it could be a reference to horns, maybe. But I think, again, it's just to elongate the head. It's just to accentuate that the forehead is really prominent and wide in a clown symbol. Uh, so that's pretty much the face dealt with. If you look, um, clowns have a ruffle around the neck which um, not only do the Wangina, an ancient rain god of Australia, have, they have the same roof on their rock art depictions. Uh, but it could also be symbolic of a reptilian frill. Reptiles and lizards are one of the species that have this thing called a frill. And Australia have a lot of these lizards, actually, where when they get defensive, it comes up behind them and creates a halo around the head. Um, and it has like bony spines going through it. I think the ruffle of a clown is a tongue-in-cheek reference to a reptilian frill. That seems to be what it's about. And I can only confirm this because in a film in 2014, it came out literally called Clown. Um, it shows a person who puts on a costume he finds in the attic of a clown because he needs to find one quickly to entertain his daughter on her birthday. 
Turns out he put on the skin of an ancient demon called a cloin. Okay, <laughs> this is the film, right? And he can't take it off. It won't come off. It's fused with his skin. And he starts turning into a monster, mimicking this clown demon. And he has to eat five children to break the curse oh, and be free. Me. Okay, right, I, I know. Always the way. <laughs> yeah, but in this weird film that came out two years before I started my research anyway, the, it has a frill around its neck, which is a reptilian, spiny, bony circus frill it's supposed to be making no it's it's there that's what gave me the hint to what the 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 ruffle around the neck is supposed to be it's a reptilian feature again um let's go to the clothes of a clown psychedelic fractal colored multicolored patterns and polka dots have you looked at a lizard or a snake they're incredibly colorful and psychedelic they are the most psychedelic creatures on the earth they come in so many colors and forms and patterns and shapes it's it's unreal they are extremely colorful creatures and that's what the clown costume is supposed to represent, the serpentine, colourful, reptilian skin nature. Uh, clowns often have very large shoes or big gloves because they are representing giants who would have had very big feet and big hands. Often you see them on stilts, not uncommon, because they're giants. And it's a, just a reference to, a symbolic reference to well, the giants. Would the, would, the, would the white gloves be another Freemason reference? Yeah, I think that is a thing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And again, this is invented by Freemasons. Like I said, it was Charles Dibdin who created the costume of a clown, literally, and he was a well-established, high-level Freemason of the Leicestershire Lodge. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was incorporating some of his own stuff into it that he would do on a daily basis. So yeah, I can, I can believe that. It's an interesting one. I never considered that. I'll, uh, I'll add that into the book. Yeah, just <laughs> give, give us a credit. Phil, yeah, I'll give just, you some credit for that, yeah. I'll just take Phil. Phil's fine. <laughs> yeah, but as you can see, everything to do with a clown is just a reference to the Nephilim, but it's like a caricature. It's a cartoonish over-exaggeration. So let's get to the car. So yes. <laughs> loads of okay, loads of little loads of clowns come out of a tiny car. Okay, and they just keep coming, don't they? And that's the gag. Well, symbolically speaking, when you're possessed by a demon, you have a legion inside of you. And a car, symbolically speaking, everyone knows this. If you dream about being in a car and it breaking down. It's usually a symbol or a representation of your own health. Your own body is breaking down. The vehicle or a car represents one's ability to traverse the world, to move in it as a symbol. So a car full of clowns is a body full of demons. And <laughs> demons tend to come by the legion in heavy amounts of numbers. So many clowns coming out of a tiny car is many demons coming out of one vessel or body. Wow, Paul, you've absolutely ruined circuses for me. <laughs> Good, he would say, I'm sure. Paul, I'm, I'm Paul we've, we've blown over an hour already. Mm. I wanted to ask you about Gnostics, about AI, about transhumanism, about psychedelics, about your path to Jesus Christ. But it's yeah. going to have to wait for the next time, man. We've, mm. we've kept you long enough. But this has been absolutely fascinating, man. I mean, is there anything you want to you want to leave us with or anywhere you particularly want to send anybody before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, if you want to go to my channel to find out more of this stuff, it's called Understanding Conspiracy, or as the tag says there, at you Conspiracy. There's literally a 41-episode series. It spans over years. Um, it goes into a lot more detail. It names names, you know what I mean? Like you were asking earlier, it gives all the, the actual traceable histories i go through all the cultures i've been hinting at one by one and i break down each individual culture and how they do their own ancestor worship it's all kind of there in much more thorough detail 
on the channel in these hour-long talks all i can do is just give you a very quick overview you know um, but i recommend going there clicking the playlist tab nephilim look like clowns and just binge it just go through it and you'll be enlightened to everything there um i do a weekly show but I, i'm recently doing the podcast uh, podcast circuit like you said at the start um you can find me everywhere right now going into this in detail in many ways so just just search out my name um understanding conspiracy or paul stobbs and you'll find me all over the place but uh youtube's the place to find me um and in terms of you know we only live around the corner from each other maybe next time i'll do this in person but uh there's so much more to talk about. We could talk about the music industry. We can talk oh. about uh, yeah, how these practices are used and how the clown is used in all modern arts um, to channel them and to gain power from them. We could talk about the psychedelic realm and how people see jesters when taking DMT. There's a lot more we have not touched upon, which... Uh, yeah, the machine oh. elves, man. Absolutely. Could be the clockwork jesters, man. <laughs> clockwork clowns. The clockwork clowns, man. Yeah, mm. it's all it's all fitting together like a nice pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this has been fantastic paul like you said we should do this again uh just stay on the line for us for one minute while we play ourselves out and sure uh, shut down the stream and uh you lot out there in youtube land who are following us live we'll be back in about 10 minutes to do some ten news minutes. yeah uh, yeah right Hot. stand by check out the links mm. in the show notes follow paul's channel sign up for his book all the rest of it all right sayonara bye bye, bye. Let's talk about buttered sausage. Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of mindfulness. Promise made, promise delivered. I told you we'd yeah. be back, and we are. Yeah. Very quickly, I might add. Um, Timely. Yeah, I think so. Maybe 12 minutes instead of 10. Yeah. So there you are. Those are chat with Paul Stops. Mm. Uh, it's wild. I love the, love the theory. It's, it's interesting. And there's all so the, much to go at. All of the clown theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, just all of it. I like his perspective. And, you know, I wanted to talk about his, you know, his move. Because he's, I feel like I'm on a similar path. It's just I haven't taken that final step. Into, into clown world. Religiosity. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have over the oh, last few years, you know. Done the ropes. I'm going to start seeing you in church, Phil. <laughs> Not that religion. <laughs> 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 oh dear so links in the show notes if you want to uh, follow up and check out Paul's stuff it comes highly recommended and yeah. uh, hopefully we'll do it again I'll put in a word with uh, Father Peter as well for what? for you so you can come back to church I'm on, I'm on first name terms with uh, old Petey no you're not well, you are now you just found out his name yeah ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear okay shall we move on? Do some headlines. Yep. Oh, I've got three. Three this week. I don't know if we'll do them all. Trail letters and big news stories. Headlines of the week. First one. Woman slams selfish paragliders who made her think Hamas were invading Doncaster. Oh, I mean, it's unlikely. Is, oh, my God! It's a distance, says, isn't it? It's Especially by paraglide. Yeah. <laughs> I never even thought of that. Yeah, you know, from the eastern... Never eat shredded wheat. Eastern Mediterranean. All the way to, to yeah. Yorkshire. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a track. It is, isn't it's a it? Track. Yeah, a Brit had to be reassured. Hamas was not invading her village when she saw paragliders flying over her home and panicked. She was under attack. 
the woman reached out on social media when she saw a number of hobbyists on the aircrafts, similar to those used by the group's members in the attack of a festival in Israel which killed hundreds of people when they flew over the heavily fortified border. She was reassured when a number of people replied to her polls to say it was unlikely Hamas had turned its attention on her th- home in Ormthorpe near Doncaster. So it's 2,324 miles from the Gaza Strip to Doncaster. Wow. That's a long, a long way to glide. Impossible. Well done. Mm. <laughs> Impossible, Phil says. Yeah. Prove us wrong. You're open-minded, Phil. She wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter. I like the way X has become like Prince now. It is, isn't it? The application, formerly known as Prince. Symbol. Uh, She wrote, Whoever thought it were funny to parasail over the village, it was extremely poor taste. Take your twisted hatred somewhere else. Wow. (laughs) Why does that piece of paper make the screen go dark? Science is white balance and... Science. uh, uh, Shit of speed and... (laughs) The science is in. You heard it here. There was two parachutes with engines like Amos used at that festival. Gave me a right fright. Thought it was some kind of skirt tactic or protest. I thought you said skirt tactic. (laughs) That's low. It is a a low blow. Yeah, nothing to add other than... Are you retarded? (laughs) Next, Canada will legalise medically assisted dying for people addicted to drugs. Yay. (laughs) Yay. What a step forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why why, why make it um, voluntary? Why not just go, go the whole hog? Go Nazi 1939. Act you on T4. <laughs> you know, why make it? Just do it involuntary. That's a bit scary, that, isn't let's, it? Let's see what it is. Uh, Canada will legalise medley, medically assisted dying. I mean, I call it MAD, but they use the, ap- 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 <laughs> the acronym MAID. M-A-I-D. Yes. Uh, they insert an in between assisted and dying. Canada will legalise medically assisted dying, or MAD, as I call it, for people who are addicted to drugs next spring in a move some drug users and activists are calling eugenics. Oh, gosh. The country's medical assistance in dying law, M-A-I-D, which first came into effect in 2016, will be expanded next March to give access to people whose sole medical condition is mental illness, which can include substance use disorders. Before the changes take place, however, a special parliamentary committee on MAID will regroup to scrutinise the rollout of the new regulations, according to the Toronto Star. Currently, people are eligible for MAID if they have, quote, grievous and irremediable medical condition, such as a serious illness or disability that has put them in an advanced state of irreversible decline and caused enduring physical or psychological suffering excluding mental illness. Anyone who receives MAID must also go through two assessments. So that's better than one. <laughs> two assessments from independent healthcare providers among meeting other criteria. The contentious idea of including people who are addicted to drugs is being discussed this week at a conference for the Canadian Society of, of Addiction Medicine in Victoria, BC. I don't think it's fair, eh? And the government doesn't think it's fair, to exclude people from eligibility because of their medical disorder or, su- or their suffering is related to mental illness, said Dr. David Martell. <laughs> Dr. David Mengele, more like. 
physician lead for addictions medicine at Nova Scotia's Health, who was presenting a framework for assessing people with substance use disorders for MAID at the conference. As a subset of that, it's not fair to exclude people from eligibility purely because their mental disorder might either partly or in full be a substance use disorder. It has to do with treating people... people is the camera keep going? I'm just, yeah, it's fine. I can control it with the uh, fingers. It has to do with treating people, people equally. It's all about equity, man. It sounds to me like they're sweeping a problem under the rug, six feet under the rug. Yeah. It's, uh, There's an interesting correlation between, you know, horrific childhoods and drug use. Like, pretty much everybody who's ad- addicted to drugs has had some kind of uh, issue in childhood, basically. Yeah, so let's move to Canada and end it all. I mean, this is the thing. So I suppose, I don't know, if, if I had, like, what's it called? Is it ALS? Oh, Lou Gehrig's syndrome. Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. yeah. Um, motor neuron disease. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> maybe if I had something like that and I was slowly dying or, you know, had to be intubated, I might feel differently. But um, it's a very difficult thing about sort of uh, the assisted dying to make sense of. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I, like I said before, just make it involuntary. Like the Nazis did, you know, they killed 300, 400,000 people mm-hmm. during the war. Nurses, mainly. It was nurses doing the killing. Mm-hmm. People who were just a bit slow, you'd have gone. You know, people with defects, birth defects, mm-hmm. people with the wrong sort of maybe colour skin, maybe people who were from travelling communities, anyone like that. Yeah, just convinced doctors and nurses to wear off them. Grim. <laughs> Based Sigma Chad. I don't know. Uh, yeah. This is the fun part of the podcast. I know. You do the third one quick. Yeah, let's move on quick. Uh, the beer party. No, not again. <laughs> party that promises every Austrian child 20 litres of beer per month surges <laughs> in the polls. Holy shit, that's a lot of beer for a child litres. to drink. leaveable. How much is that? 40 so, pints. 30. 40 pints. 3, 34 pints. Wow. Decent. Yeah. A month. One a day, roughly. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. Could be like a Guinness. A spillage. A Guinness a day gives Keeps you the iron. The Canadian doctor's way. Deficiency away, yeah. Oktoberfest has now wound down, but it seems those in the German Sprachraum world aren't yet giving up on the delicious golden liquid. That is because Austria's beer party is now polling at 12% ahead of the Vienna state election. It means if results were taken as they are today, the party would become the third and uh, largest party and secure a place in the halls of power. Mm. Founded in 2015 by Dominic Vlasny, whose stage name for the popular punk band Turbo Beer... Oh, yeah, Turbo Beer. ...is Marco Pogo. (laughs) He's looking to woo voters over with a number of unorthodox campaign promises. It's a bit like... um, Oh, my God. (laughs) Guy with the Wellington on his head. Vermin Supreme in America. We've played clips of Vermin Supreme on this podcast. He's looking at me blankly. I have no idea what I'm talking about. No. I remember the guy. Mandatory toothbrushing laws. I remember the tiny, uh, the tiny uh, bowler hat guy. No, he's got a Wellington boot on his head, and his main policies are mandatory toothbrushing laws, um, free oh, ponies, yeah. free ponies for all. I think three, three. Free pony right, for everyone. One free pony. Yeah. Uh, pop, uh, perhaps the most popular for the Vien- Vien- Viennese 
is the promise of installing a beer fountain in the capital city. How enchanting. A beer fountain. That'll stink. But the outlandish pledges don't stop there. The beer party are also promising a new 50% tax on rattlers and, quote, other atrocities. Oh, a rattler. Is that like when you put lemonade in it or something? We call them shandies. Oh, yeah. rattlers, yeah. Those atrocities. Because you could get a Foster's rattler, couldn't you? Yeah, you used to be able to, yeah. In a can. Oh, they were horrific. It. Yeah. More horrific than just plain Foster's. What was snake bite? Was that like 50... Cider half, and black? Half, it? Is it not half lager, lager half cider lager. and black currant? That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Half Guinness, half port. <laughs> it probably depends what pub you go into. Is it not like a Vimto we, and Guinness? We don't do cocktails. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I don't think I ever had one on when, uh, when I was in the student times. Uh, no, what about a Rattler? I tried a Rattler, yeah. I tried, I of course, I can remember how awful it was. Stay away from Vienna then, because the beer party are also promising a 50% tax on Rattlers, as well as a Rattler buyback program. All right, okay. Well. In which people can exchange their Rattlers for, quote, real beer. Yeah, nice. More outlandishly <laughs> is the vow to give all Austrian households a monthly barrel of beer, 50 litres to adults, 20 litres to children. It also wants to create a gastronomy network to encourage better relations between local restaurateurs and local politics. The abolition of mandatory closing time for bars. Yeah. And uh, live and let live philosophy, except for Rattler drinkers. So would I qualify, if I moved to my family to Vienna, would I qualify for 140 litres of beer a month? If they get in. Maybe. And if it could be a dual citizenship, if you could, if you could wangle some sort of dual New York citizenship, you'd get free housing as well. What do you mean? Yeah. It's a state law in New York that everyone's entitled to free housing. That's why Mayor Adams has been has been uh, sort of throwing his toys out of the pram because, you know, Texas and the other states on the Mexican border is a bit of a fuck you have sent like 10,000 to New York and by their laws they have to house them. Wait, wait, wait. Define... Housing? Hotels, uh, Airbnbs. They're, they're, uh, Just anything. A roof. Cardboard roof. I'm sure there are state laws defining what a house is and what is suitable for what is suitable state housing. So what is... They can't is, this a new about thing? is this a new thing about housing people? Has it always been the way? I think it's always been the way. But oh, now right, it's... Okay. But maybe people didn't know about it. Why is there loads of, you know, like all those videos of people on the underground on in New York... Did you see that video from Toronto? Um, there's a, a lady, she's got a mobile out, and it's the, the bottom of her apartment block, mm. and there's like a railing at the bottom of this apartment block, and it's just got hundreds and hundreds of snap-on uh, safe boxes, Airbnbs. It's just lined with them, hundreds and hundreds. Oh, because the whole apartment blocks? It's just Airbnb. been Airbnb'd, yeah. Nice. It's like... And no one can buy, no one can buy an apartment in Toronto because they're all bought and being uh, being beat out or rented out. <laughs> I I spoke to somebody who quit his job, and he lived in London. He had a flat in London, and his job was uh, being his flat, basically. And that's how he made a Passive living. income. Yeah. Didn't have to do anything. Basically, he didn't do any. Yeah, he didn't do anything. Where did he live? Uh, well, it, fortunately, he, he had a he had a mummy, a mum. I think he said mummy then. But effectively, a mummy that he could go and live with. What the farage? Somewhere Daddy in the country, yeah, countryside. Wow. Was he called Horus? <laughs> yeah. Ah. Wow. Yeah. 
ISIS. Yeah, passive income, man. Mm. Right. Cool. Cool. All right. Cool, cool. Well, that's cool. the three headlines. Should we move on? Move. Let's see what's coming up next. First on BBC One. Mm. I like to fuck my cat. <laughs> That's a bit disturbing. <laughs> that's enough, <laughs> that's enough internet for you. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. First on BBC One, Prince Andrew <laughs> becomes part of Jimmy Savile's dream team. Uh, war. Let's do some war. Boring. <laughs> I've got some some clips before we do the uh, the housekeeping. Uh, yes, unless you've been living under a rock. The only news that's in the news is Palestine. Hamas. Hamas, Gaza. And uh, it seems Doncaster. that they've... It's widening to uh, Egypt. No, uh, the West Bank as well. Now they seem to be bombing oh. the West Bank as well, mm, where Hamas yeah. aren't. It's true. Yeah, uh, weird, weird flex. <laughs> Israel land grab. Yeah. So I've got some clips. I've got a series of clips. Um, this one, I've got the Egyptian guy, Egyptian comedian with Piers Morgan. I don't know if you saw this. Tommy Jajali, that guy. Bassem Youssef. Oh no, he's called. And uh, it's just, it's about as dark as humour gets this, but he's been interviewed by Piers and he, he seems he has family in Gaza. So here's the first clip. First oh. of all, what is your reaction to what happened on October the 7th? Oh, it was terrible, of course. I mean, we kind of get our news kind of also secondhand because, you know, my, my wife's family, they live in Gaza. They actually have uh, cousins and uncles there um, and uh, their house also was bombed. We haven't been able to communicate with them for the past three days. Communication are lost. This is uh, the start of the interview, so it's all quite serious, isn't it, mm. so far? So uh, we don't know actually what is the, uh, how, is the, how are they doing, but, you know, we're used to that. I mean, it's it just like, it's, it's, it's very repetitive. We're used to that. We're used to them being bombed every time and moving from one place to the other. Uh, you know, it's just like those Palestinians, they're very dramatic. Ah, Israel killing us. Uh, but they never die. I mean, they always come back. You know, they're, they're very difficult to kill, very difficult people to kill. I, I know because I'm married to one. That's the first joke. Mm-hmm. I tried many times, couldn't kill her. <laughs> I mean, there's a dark humour there, and I understand why. Pierce just doesn't know what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> who's doesn't, this guy? Doesn't know what to do. Because oh, it's not dark humour. I really, I try to get to her every time, but she uses our kids as human shields. I can never take her out. <laughs> Great joke. Uh, yeah, props to that guy. Sort of. Uh, I mean, it's it's this is satire. It's not comedy, really, is it? It's satire. Mm. It's being satirical. Yeah, there's, um, there's power behind that. Absolutely, humor. it's like be like the jester again. Man. Yeah, the, the role of the jester. Uh, second clip. Um, he makes an interesting point here about what's going on in Gaza and how it compares to another theatre of war currently ongoing. Because I heard, I heard Ben Shapiro and I heard Ron DeSantis, and they said, <coughs> they said, Israel... Interesting how they call places where war is happening theatre. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. ...is the only military force in the world that warns civilians before bombing them. I mean, how fucking cute. <laughs> that is so nice of them. So, because with this logic... If Russian troops started warning Ukrainians before bombing their houses, we're cool with Putin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty good point, that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
It's just a bin fire, isn't it? It's a dumpster fire for our American listeners. Yeah. It's a bit of a mess. I mean, yeah. Well, well, yeah, we're, we're going, this is like, I've got like six clips on on Gaza. This is just the opening salvo. Okay. Uh, just because this guy was so great, he even throws some slapstick in during the interview. He does some earpiece slapstick. And I'm sure this is this is part of a routine. <coughs> I agree. Hamas is removed. Let's Hamas, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm agreeing with everything. Hamas. You want me to condemn Hamas? <laughs> I will condemn Hamas, Hummus, Hassan, uh, everyone. Yeah. Guys, say, wait. I can't hear you. The uh, the earpiece. Damn. Okay. Oops. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I Sorry. do need. I think, I think okay. just go, go back. Is he there? You go back. You go. Back. Can you, you hear go me? Back. Okay. Go. Thank you, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Now I can hear. You. Okay. So. I think that's in, you know how he I turns think, the other yeah. way. Yeah. That's a routine. This guy's obviously a professional yeah, guy who's on TV all the time. I think that's a shtick. And if you listen really closely, you can hear someone in Pierce's control room laughing mm. when he when he looks behind him for the earpiece. Hamas is removed. Hassan, uh, Hassan, uh, everyone, guys, say wait. I can't hear you. The uh, the earpiece. Damn. Okay. Oops. Okay. Yeah. Pierce. Okay. Uh, someone I, I, in the control room. <laughs> Yeah, so props to that guy. It's like um, he should have a, like a Netflix special or something. He's obviously oh, yeah, very, he should, really. very good, very talented satirist. Anyway, uh, let's move on from him to serious business and um, grand leader of the free world, President Cornpop. <laughs> had, had a big speech. He had a big speech at the Oval Office this week. Oh, Joe. Um, and, you know... I just want to sort of give a sort of overview of the situation here because I think we're being softened up for something, uh, which will be, I think, evident in these Biden clips and also the clips coming from Newsnight in a minute. Okay, so how does Biden start? Let's see. Beyond Europe, we know that our allies and maybe most importantly our adversaries and competitors are watching they're watching our response in Ukraine as well. I mean, what does he want? Uh, ceasefire, negotiations, uh, cessation of hostilities? What does Biden want? That's the point of, the, of this speech that we need to ascertain. A lie down. Definitely wants a lie down. <clears throat> Let's find out. And if we walk away and let Putin erase Ukraine's independence, would-be aggressors around the world be emboldened to try the same? The risk of conflict and chaos could spread in other parts of the world, in the Indo-Pacific, in the Middle East, especially in the Middle East. Iran is, is, is supporting Russia in Ukraine, and is supporting Hamas and other terrorist groups in the region, and will continue to hold them accountable, I might add. Hmm. So that's the first uh, mention of Iran. a certain, yeah, the, the seventh country on the West Clark 7 list. Mm. The one that hasn't, you know, has been too big to go after thus far. Mm-hmm. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. 
Funding? Investment? Dividends? What is he talking about? Ugh. He's funding the Israeli army now. Essentially bankrolling. It's only $100 billion this time. Don't they have tons... I mean, nearly walked into that one. <laughs> what? Don't they have quite a large army and lots of resources anyway? Where from? I don't know. It's all American-backed, isn't it, Israel? Oh, is it American? That's the whole thing, is yeah. That, well, Every, all the equipment's American. <clears throat> they gave them the news. the whole reason... Israel exists where it is because of Britain. Well, it's still with the end of, well, it's supposed so to be the, the end Balfour of the Balfour Declaration, yeah. yeah. And then they've just kind of spread out. Palestine, so it was Palestine. It? it was Palestine, yeah. And then we decided to split it. Hey, there, there was a place called Mesopotamia on the map, <laughs> you know, before we started drawing lines at the yeah. end of the war, man. Mm. We just draw Fucking lines in the bridge. sand and this is it, you know. Same with the French and Syria and all the rest of it. We mm. carved that area up because of, of oil and stuff. And the fuck, man? What the farage? But, um, yeah, he's talking about financing, dividends, talking a lot about money, sort of war is a racket kind of thing. And the next clip, astonishingly, I don't think I've heard this before, but he, he, he basically lays it out. He lays out how the military-industrial complex works in this clip. Let me be clear about something. Yeah. We send Ukrainian equipment sitting in our stockpiles. Mm-hmm. And when we use the money allocated by Congress... We your money, your mm-hmm. tax revenues, mm-hmm. or your grandchildren's, whatever. We use it to replenish our own stores, our own stockpiles, with new equipment. Yep. Yeah. Equipment that, def- that defends America and is made in America. <laughs> Patron missiles for air defense batteries, made in Arizona. Mm. Artillery shells manufactured in 12 states across the country, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Texas, and so much more. It's $100 billion of taxpayers' money going directly into defense contractors, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman. This mm. is how he's laying it out, how it works. It's a massive <laughs> robbing from the poor to give to the rich. <coughs> we yeah. give, you know, we'll give Ukraine our shitty old F-16s. And then we buy, we do the contracts for F-35s mm. yep. from North from uh, Lockheed Martin and, oh, who's that other, who else makes them? BAE Systems. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they make the fuselage. Mm. So, yeah, I thought that was astounding. It just lays it out how the corrupt system works. You know, just as in World War II, oh. today patriotic American workers are... Just listen to this. This is incredible language. In World War II... Today, patriotic American workers are building the arsenal of democracy. Do you ever get that feeling that we're the baddies? <laughs> the arsenal of democracy. The arsenal of democracy. Of democracy. We're going to bomb you until you accept democracy. It seems like what it's saying. And serving the cause of freedom. Uh, anyone, is anyone getting flashbacks for about 20 years ago? Well, yeah, this has well, served as well, hasn't it, over the oh recent times? God. I mean, it's not 12 months since the... Is it 12 months nearly since the, they botched the leaving of Afghanistan? Yeah. And they left them, what was it, six billions worth of arms there? Mm. They wouldn't have found their way into Hamas or Hezbollah or anyone, would they? Mm. For yeah. a fleeting second there, I thought, oh, it's, it's okay. I, I fooled myself into thinking it's all right because all this will change once all these old people are dead in a few years. i tell you what's, what's an interesting sort of counterfactual, historical counterfactual. Uh, if you go back, if the Orange Man had won, 
Would we have war in Ukraine and Gaza now? Don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we would. He was such a fucking loose cannon, <laughs> weren't he? People were scared of him because he was such a f- mm. crazy guy. Just need China and Taiwan to kick up now. He was seen as powerful on the world stage, regardless of what you think of him. If you think he's a buffoon or a sex pest, whatever, other world leaders were took him seriously. Yeah. Whereas, the, you know, Corn Pop is just <laughs> fucking useless. He's just his weekend at Bernie's, man. God. I always think about the uh, the largest non-nuclear bomb he dropped in the Afghanistan Moab. mountain. <laughs> the Moab, yeah. Mm. He didn't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like I'm laughing about it, but it's horrific, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. horrific. I don't know. I don't know if we'd be in the situation we were if, if the Orange Man had been re-elected, but we'll never know. It's one of those those historical counterfactuals that are impossible to mm. impossible to pr- prove, but interesting to ponder. Can we not send Dennis that? Rodman somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did a great job with North Korea. <laughs> can, can we send him to the West Bank? Well, yeah. Can we just send him anyway? <laughs> Where is he? <coughs> Where in the world is Dennis Rodman? He's not still in North Korea, is he? He's... I don't think he's allowed to leave, is he? <laughs> he's, uh, I was listening to a little bit of a snippet of a podcast, and he's met Putin as well, is what he says. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, um, before we move on, the orange man tore up the, tore up the Iran deal, didn't he? Obama's Iran deal. And the, one of the first things Uncle Creepy Uncle Corn Pop did when he came back in was put that deal back on the table mm. and give him $6 billion worth of aid mm. for a few hostages, which I don't know if they have access to yet, but, I mean, it's in. they can't stop it forever. Mm. Yeah, don't, yeah, maybe don't give billions of dollars to the people who are funding... Hamas. Terrorist organisations. But I mean, I mean, they funded I mean, the, the, the Mujahideen, didn't they? Against, when they were fighting the Soviets. So you could you could spend six billion in order to start a war, and then you get a hundred billion of taxpayers' money back, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You need an excuse to print the money. War is a racket. <laughs> the only thing it costs is lives, and lives are cheap. Lives, alive <laughs> people cost money. Dead people don't cost anything. Mm. This is why I think like Gaza is just the whipping boy, man. It's the whipping boy of the world. So and that they're used, unfortunately, for all these interests. And right, let's move on to news night because um, there was a development on, I think it was Wednesday night. Was it Wednesday or Thursday? I think it was Thursday night where the US Navy intercepted some Scud, was it Scud missiles heading oh, to Israel. Old school. Uh, I think it was Scud missiles. Land to land missiles. Yeah. Um, it'll say in the clip, the US Navy intercepted them. They were they were coming from Yemen to... To Gaza. To presumably Israel. They, they think maybe Israel. And we're going to see more of the soft messaging, some of the pre-programming in this clip. The crew of the guided missile destroyer USS Kearney, operating in the northern Red Sea earlier today, shot down three land attack cruise missiles. Cruise missiles, not Scud missiles. Sorry, they've cruise been fired. So they've been fired from Yemen. Yeah, the Houthis. Israel targets in Israel. This is what. Yeah. Right. Continue. And several drones that were launched by Houthi forces in Yemen. And uh, we cannot say for certain what these missiles and drones were targeting, but they were launched from Yemen, heading north along the Red Sea, potentially towards targets in Israel. 
so um, well-connected Israeli journalists are uh, saying on social media that they've been briefed that Israel was the target. The crew of the guided missile destroyer oh, USS Kearney operating in the north. For some reason it just went back to the beginning of the clip. Northern Red Sea earlier today shot down three land attack cruise missiles and several drones that were launched by Houthi forces in Yemen. And we cannot say for certain what these missiles and drones were targeting, but they were launched from Yemen, heading north along the Red Sea, potentially towards targets in Israel. So um, well-connected Israeli journalists are uh, saying on social media that they've been briefed that Israel was the target for those missiles. This is the diplomatic correspondent whose name escapes me on Newsnight. He often fills in for presenting duties, but... Uh, the method of attack, these long-range precision uh, cruise missiles, very similar to attacks uh, on Jeddah uh, a year and a half ago. Jeddah in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. ago. And eastern Saudi Arabian mm -hmm. oil facilities uh, four years ago. So it's a mode of attack that's been used before. Quite advanced weapons believed to have been provided by Iran, the Quds force of the Iranian government, to these people in Yemen to provide a sort of measure of, if not deniability, arm's length strike capability. So that's what we've seen in the past, and it would appear that that's what happened this evening. But the implications of Iran are pretty substantial. Substantial. So where's Iran getting cruise missiles from? Are they making their own? Oh, yeah. Iran's got a massive military. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge standing army. I know. Um, They're supported by Russia, China. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was just wondering, are they, come from, are they America. Russian missiles? America. Well, America as well, $6 billion worth of aid from America. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wonder how much of that is just, it really is just a bribe, you know, in terms of, you know, all of that money probably just goes into a bank account for the leaders of the country. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the plot thickens. So the target of the Houthi rebels has been Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia were, were bombing Yemen mm. horrendously in the 20-teens. 20 mm. Until about the pandemic, I think. I don't know yeah. whether it's still going on. And who built those weapons? Oh, well, I was going to get to that. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. What those weapons... What, who sells jets to the Saudis? Oh, mm -hmm. Are they not you? Are they Eurofighter typhoons? Aren't they? And tornadoes, hawks. And... It's not. They don't have Eurofighters. Oh, right, okay. It's tornadoes. I they did. Anyway, let's carry on because, um, well, this is a bit of a coincidence, but let's play it. And possibly time, possibly not. You know, you know, Rishi Sunak is in Saudi Arabia tonight. Ah, Rishi Sunak happens to be in Saudi Arabia. Oh God, that's odd, isn't it? Mm. After having been in Israel today. Um, is there significance of the action given his presence? Well, look, he, he's on a diplomatic mission out there, obviously primarily today uh, to express solidarity with Israel, but then he did go on to Saudi Arabia, as you say, and uh, met with the Crown Prince there. The, the agenda for this appears to be uh, <laughs> heading off the chance of a regional conflict. Now, of course, if a regional conflict is actually what we're rolling into anyway... It's talking like it's a foregone conclusion. I know, yeah. We're, we're already rolling into a regional conflict. 
there could be uh, a possibility that he's also around to sort of test the waters about a coalition of the willing. You know, would Saudi Arabia line up uh, with Jordan, perhaps the Emirates and the US, uh, you know, if it did come to a military confrontation with Iran? This what would be. I think we're being softened up for this, man. So, invade an invasion, a coalition force to invade Iran, consisting of obviously us, America, Saudi Arabia, um, United Arab Jordan, Emirates, Egypt, Egypt, um, and then French. Obviously, obviously yeah, the usual suspects: Germany, um, Australasia. I just think. I mean, Iran is a massive country. Think about the rebuilding contracts there, man. And they have oil as well that you can't export currently, I imagine, to most I mean, of the world. I mean, mate, it's Afghanistan, Iraq, small potatoes, doesn't it? And how much oil? How much oil's ended up coming out of Iraq after that was invaded? Did any of it actually get? Well, got burnt away, didn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I went, and that's never really spoken about. I've like heard of, you know, the constru- construction contracts. It's yesterday's chip paper. But not so much the oil. There's a big thing. Well. There's a little bit of a thing about sort of the oil uh, rights before the invasion happened. But I'm just wondering, you know, how much of that actually got onto the world stage because of all the uh, export bans or, you know. But again, you know, it's just us, isn't it? It's like five countries versus the rest of the world. Uh, it mentioned like two potential reasons for Sunak happening to be in Saudi Arabia. The first being to sort of quell uh, an... In, uh, a broader conflict. Was it not? Too- also to feel, feel MSB out for a coalition of the willing. Oh, God. I would say, I would, I would propose a third, <laughs> a third motive, and that being Slumdog Billionaire, uh, Rashid Sanuk, as Biden calls him. I mean, he's he's chief salesman for BA. Yeah. He's the prime minister. Mm-hmm. In, in much the same way as Biden is printing all this money to support Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. Uh, you know, uh, 35% of BAE's aerospace sales go to Saudi Arabia. So wow. It's over a third of their business. You know, I think maybe that's why I was like, hey, you know we're working on a new tornado. Maybe you want to put an order in here or there. In a tornado upgrade. It's, it's got- a bit dicey. It's heating up round here, Prince, isn't it? Maybe have you thought about maybe upgrading your, your your old Hawks that we sold you twenty years ago? Oh God! That's how the world works. I'm afraid. Shit, oh, it's it? a racket. It's Medley D Butler, but it's all right because it's all happening a long way from us. I can't we be more like Switzerland? I mean, Britain now. <laughs> we used to have like an empire and whatnot, and I know all that bullshit. But we're just a shitty little country, a joke country, you might say. Why can't we just be honestly bad? BAE Systems is the sixth largest military contractor in the world. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> There's five American firms and then BAE Systems. What's the French uh, one? Look at London. The, si- the city of London is the financial capital of the world. I wouldn't underestimate the influence that the United Kingdom has on world affairs. Oh, why can't we be a little shitty country? <laughs> yeah. We set it, it all up, easier. didn't we? That's the thing, I suppose. Well, it just yeah, moved. The power fault. just moved to the US. Mm. Plus, you know, some would argue that that the UK pulls the strings behind the US. Greenwich Mean Time as well. Yeah. Through the the roads roads societies. Zero, one, two. Do we not have like a responsibility to the world then to be less shitty? 
No. We want more money. For fuck's sake. It's good for pensions and shit. Yeah, well, we've got, it's got 500 billion to pay off, so <laughs> BAE needs to start paying some taxes. Yeah, so, so are some apprentices, you fucks. Well, I tell you what, they have, they are advertising for some jobs in BAE currently. A lot of jobs. All the time, massive recruitment oh. drive. Right. You know which the way end. the wind's blowing, man. Mm. Towards the war. Mm. Okay. Housekeeping. Let's leave that there. Housekeeping. Uh, this is a value for value podcast. If you uh, find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. My favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth. Sharing links, uh, YouTube links, Spotify links, um, wherever you are, wherever your presence is online. Maybe you're in Telegram channels or Discord servers or Facebook groups. If you can spread the word, that helps. It helps us grow our reach, get more supporters, more producers, more people sending uh, emails and uh, news stories and funny clips and stuff. So that all helps. My favourite is when governments give us a load of money and we harvest off our old episodes and make new ones with the millions of pounds that they send us. Also, um, the merch store. Oh, come on, man. That's not in the order. He's got to like go up the thing. I don't do order. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, there's the list right in front of you. Oh, I can't see it. Where is it? There. That one there. Too. Are you going to do the merch store or not? I'll do the merch store. You can buy a, a, uh, some merch, T-shirts and a hoodie. Uh, so this, this is, is our newest. There we go. There we go. <laughs> you are the carbon they want to reduce when they're talking mm. about carbon reduction. Of course, we know we're made of carbon and this pig has massive balls. <laughs> <laughs> Bacon nuts t-shirt and mug mm. also available. Looks great on a mug. Mm. It does look great on a mug. I, mm. I like it. Fills the uh, fills the void. Uh, three weeks to flatten the earth. Um, it's this leaf from the big way and literally a communist uh, hoodie there, which is beautiful. And that's I, the standard logo. I think. Hey, Matt, 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 what, 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 what? What would you do if you wanted to get? <laughs> A ten percent discount on your purchases from the from from the merch. You store. would subscribe to the newsletter because that's coming out. What is it soon? What's the date? In a couple of weeks. Comes out the first of every month, man. The yeah. Rumspringer. Um, so you know, if you look in there, so that's got you know the month ahead in terms of guests. It's got some memes. It's got Ben's column and <laughs> Phil's thoughts for the month. Generally speaking, depending on how much time he has to write something. Um, so sign up for that. Uh, join the Element server. Uh, you know, you can chat to us in there. Uh, you can send us news articles. You can suggest guests. You can uh, put, submit a birthday shout out. Nice. Um, you can request some focus chi. So that's a unique thing to this podcast. Totally free. If your chi is feeling depleted, if you're feeling under the weather, or if you've got something big coming up um, that you feel... A huge bolus. That you need <laughs> some help getting it over the hilt, um, God, then put a submission in, or you can e- you know you can do it in the element survey. You could email us at the oh my God, sorry, the Inquisition at gmail dot com, or you know via one of our many social media platforms, and we'll try and pick it up. You can leave us a review somewhere, and if we find it, we'll read it out for you. Mm. Um, you can smash the bell, comment, like, hit, smack. 
punch, claw, grab. Ouch. In order to um, share this podcast. And Phil's best way is word of mouth. Share the sun people. is a deadly laser. Share with your mouth to other people. But the best way is... Artwork. Is artwork. We haven't had any artwork <laughs> submissions for fucking weeks. What's going on, man? And now... What are you artists doing out there in podcast land? Is it 296, the last one? Uh, yeah. Oh, we got one from Johnny there, mm. 296. Yeah, that's fucking five weeks ago. 292. If you have the art- artistic persuasion, uh, mm. submit your artwork to us. You can get a preview. If, if you're following us on YouTube, um, the YouTube event normally comes up on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. Or if you're in the Elements server, you find out usually on Monday morning who's coming on next Sunday. And you can provide some artwork for us, and it will be used as a show artwork for the, the podcast. In Spotify, iTunes, and whatnot. No submission this week, so I adapted the YouTube thumbnail with Paul here and generated that. Mm, lovely. Does yes. what it says on the tin, doesn't it, man? Yeah, it's fine. You know? So, yeah, send us your artwork and your memes. Your memes. Toss us a coin. Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, lads. 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 What's for the uh, com? Or the Elements server, or follow the link in the show notes, and you'll find a PayPal button there. And you give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation, and help us keep the lights on and uh, pay the running costs. And look to reinvest. I've reinvested, you know, six pounds a month in a gift gaff sim. What does that mean? Oh. The phone oh. from last week. I've right. got it working now. Okay. So uh, the phone lines. Is open. It's, it's not open. But it's not open. It could be. It could be open every episode. Yeah. You could, we could do phone-ins all the time if we wanted to oh now. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But, but, yeah. Yeah, only you fucks out there can... Save Plopland. And uh, help us keep the lights on, pay for the, the bills. Maybe make get a phone that works. I've done it. So my regular phone is a dual SIM. So I've just put the second SIM in there. And I can oh just flip God, it on. Cool. Bluetooth works perfectly. Right, so it was so the phone, was it? It was the phone, yeah. Mm. The phone was retarded. Mm-hmm. It's an old S6. I wonder if you could put a SIM in this. No, oh unfortunately not. No. Could you put a SIM in a computer? Make Some the computer computers. a phone? Laptops. Can you? Yeah. Right. For your data. Madness. Ain't it mad? Yeah. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, right. so, yeah. Well, is that it? Have we done all the housekeeping? I think we have, haven't we? Yeah. You right. need to thank the producers now. Oh, big up the man Gosh, is it that time? It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Right, let's thank the producers for episode 301. We have uh, the anonymous coffee buyer. Yes. Oh, yes. I saw that. Third time. Third wow. donation from, from anonymous coffee buyer. Balling. <laughs> Emma Bridges, uh, Nicholas, Helen, and Alia. Thank you. They're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. Put on your fucking muzzle if you go to the shop. Literally. The best mate. The jewels. The carags. The grape. Because I'm literally a communist. Doctor of thugonomics. Homophobe. The wings. The giant fucking lenses. The chest feeding. Communist. The base Sigma Chad. The corn pop. Chance. The baby penis. Inner asshole. These clockwork clowns. The dime bar. The number 11. 
Gun on the bus. The blind man. The big jungus. The cripple and the mother. Let me pick your egg. From hell. Bring it on. <laughs> Are you retarded? I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. But don't get it, never will. If it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Anyway. I'm, is what it is. Well, it is what it is because you are who you are. That's why it is. Come on, man. I got hairy legs, and Corn Pop was a bad dude. Risk more cases and more deaths. Deaths. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> it's also holds polluter. I'll call polluters accountable with the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. God, his falsies were falling out then, weren't he? His false teeth. What's bad, actually? You have to chip those Nephilim, nephilim teeth out and give him some falsies. Rob, what's bad is you can tell the difference in his speech on those clips, as bad as they are, to what we just watched then. Yeah, it's yeah. a different guy. It's a different clone. They just reel him out every six months, man. It's just that decline, complete decline, though, in his abilities. Yeah. Sage. Yeah, I mean... Sage? <laughs> That's sage. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? He was, he was, you know, he was the option given to the American people. Orange man, or that guy. Oh, and, this uh, this and, guy. And they chose him. So God love him. Did they though? Do you reckon if Orange Man gets in in twenty twenty four, or even runs? When he gets in, you mean? Oh, right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you reckon he'll end the wars? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's like it cuts out of the bag now, isn't it? And stop. <laughs> it's a lot harder to roll it back now. It would be interesting to see because what he's happens. so full of himself, isn't he? So full yeah, of bravado. Yeah. And he's been saying, you know, I'll end this in two minutes. One phone call to Putin, I'll end this. Well, let's, let's see it. Let's see it then. Well, there's the thing about the Abraham Accords, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah he's gone by the way, way by and he got no credit for it. He got no that. credit for it because he's orange man. Mm-hmm. It's too polarizing. Oh, man. He's a narcissist. He's, uh, you know, grabbing by the pussy. Doesn't yeah. matter. What, what, don't, he can sign any peace treaty he wants. He'll always be. Grab him by the pussy. Yeah. To a certain demographic. And orange. Uh, and orange. Let's be orange. That weird thing where he's talking about like, finding his daughter attractive. That was bizarre. Mm. Not seen that clip. No. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. ISOs. End of show ISOs. <laughs> I've got... you got seven. Uh, one, two, three, four. <laughs> uh, let's see. One, two, three, four. Five. I've got five. five. Uh, number one, Kamala Harris. Eat no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. Don't hear no. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> VP. I know. Do you like that? I eat no for breakfast. I think that's a positive I message. I eat no for breakfast. Don't hear no. <laughs> Nitrous oxide. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's cannabis. I she's like high it. as folk all oh, the time. Right, okay. Do you not think? I think she's just high. Well, nitrous oxide, is, is that not laughing gas? Yeah. So she's balloon heads. Exactly. So um didn't he like lots of people just die in when the in like the Victorian times when it it became like a thing at parties to have it. I'm sure it did. Nitrous oxide. What goes around comes around. And it caused hilarity and then you know, it just fucks you up and you die eventually. Yeah. I always say this, but it's like it's most the most humane way to execute someone because you're euphoric before you die. 
Yeah, I can understand that. Apparently, that's why they uh, the pure oxygen is in the the airplane. We've all watched that's Fight Club. Ben. All oh, right, was that from that? Calm as Hindu cows. That's it. Oh, there you go. Learn it's that not. A, it's not not like a, a what's it myth? What do you call it? An urban myth? Like the, the, the way they tell you to doubt your, it. <laughs> they tell you to put your head between your legs, yeah. and that's to break Good your neck. Job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I can do that. Do you think you could get your head between your legs? I don't think I could, no. no. Wow. Have you not been from the physio? You're not more supple now. His I'm a hips little, lie. A little bit more supple, yeah. They do lie. Instead of not lying. And my man boobs are like mountains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, second ISO, quickly. <laughs> um, this is very profound. It's Kamala again. Always believes in what can be, unburdened by what has been. All right. Wow. Like that? No. Do you not think that was no. like... It's not as good as eat no for breakfast. Yeah. No, you prefer that one. Okay, okay, I can tell you. Those two clips, they come from this... Uh, I might as well play the full thing because it's it's great. At this point, a well-known secret about me. I, I love Venn diagrams. Mm. I love Venn diagrams. And whenever I am presented with kind of like, this is complicated, I'm, I always wonder, is there a Venn diagram to figure this stuff out? And we love that about you. Right? <laughs> Don't hear no. I eat no for breakfast. Don't hear no. <laughs> Anyone else? There? Always believes. In what can be unburdened by what has been. What the f does that even mean? <laughs> we did it, Joe. Hi, <laughs> five. Yes, yes. What is happening? I don't know. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> oh, fuck. I mean, someone got her a Netflix special. <laughs> Yeah, she should be a reality TV. I'd love for a reality sh- TV show about Kamala. What was she getting, was she getting a, chummed up all the time? Was she the Attorney General for California? Is that what it was called? Yeah, DA, just yeah. Uh, locking up, attorney. locking District up people attorney. on. I think she was DA, yeah, or head of the DAs or something. A state. <laughs> that's what I mean. I thought, she, I thought she was like the state. Yeah, for California, law person, yeah. and that's and she did. Obviously, they just make everything harsher and harsher and harsher, don't they? Yeah, it's locking up people for minor drug offences forever. I was just said it's like being in the ladies' toilet at a nightclub. <laughs> I can I can imagine. Is it that it. fun, Helen? Is it that fun? Ace, <laughs> mm. ridiculous. Anyway, ISOs. Yes, uh, that was number two. That was number two. <laughs> what about uh, dinner time? Let's try dinner time. Mother's calling me for dinner. She made my favorite tonight: boiled potatoes. Uh, it looks. I quite like a bit that one. Forced. Mother's calling me for dinner. She made my favorite tonight, boiled potatoes. I like boiled potatoes. I want to believe he's an idiot. Who the fuck likes boiled potatoes, man? From the potato man. Boiled potatoes. You don't get boiled potatoes from the potato man. The train, the potato train on the market. Yeah. 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 And a bit of salt. (laughs) When your mum was dragging you around the town, getting the shopping on a Saturday afternoon. No. Hungry mum. It's roast potatoes that go fuck your mother. Did you wow. ever get parched peas from I've never had them ever in my entire life. He's dead now. Recommend it. Who's dead? He died, the potato Mr. Parched Peepin. The potato man, didn't he die? I think someone bought it because it's sometimes see it being towed down into town past my house. It was outside the uni the other day for, mm. for some 
precious thing. We're going to do some local, do some serious local news today. Yeah. Is it was it is it a section of a tram car? Is that what it is? No, it's just a it was just a van to made to look like a potato (laughs) potato tram a train. (laughs) Yeah, like a funnel and shit. No, but it was it's towed. You know, it's towed. Yeah, it's a it's a trailer. Trailer, yeah. Yeah. But you're telling me that that wasn't like a section of a tram car. It was no. I think it's built around or coach built around a, a frame. Are we going into the theatre of potato boiling now? <laughs> I literally call it a theatre. There's a so basically for non Prestonians, there is a famous tram car slash trailer that sells boiled potatoes. <laughs> and yeah, like a jacket potato, except it's six boiled potatoes and you can get beans and Whatever yeah, and cheese probably now, can't you? Because yeah. it's you know the twenty first century. <laughs> are they and new potatoes? They are new potatoes. Yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. And they're not peeled or anything. No. Oh fuck! Yeah, they busted. And I can remember. I think I might remember, remember having them once as a Tell child. Tell me about the potatoes. I'm doing at length. <laughs> I kind of want them now. Yeah, and you could, <laughs> and you just got salt to dip them in. But there's this, there's a, there's a Preston delicacy that's called parched peas yeah parched peas yeah those peas they look purple are they in vinegar or something yeah served in vinegar boiling vinegar boiling are they boiled in vinegar yeah it's around this time of year that they they become popular i always i always um equate them equate them with um like bonfire night and bonfire right. toffee and stuff bonfire lollies were they called those treacle lollies treacle toffee just chunks of. i once choked on one of those and my dad me to give you the hand lick maneuver. Well, no, he, he was. He sh- I remember him holding me by my leg, shaking me like that. Basically. What were you, 22, 23? Yeah, wow, holy shit. Remember that? Like, <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't. Uh, I'm trying to think about that. I'm sure I've nearly choked a couple of times. I think it's a normal thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah, pure panic. The only time that I saw food, the, man. I saw, so, oh, too excited. <laughs> Tastes so good. Yeah. Oh, oh bacon, no, sausage, no. egg, black pudding. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't fucking, I can't fucking <laughs> wait to get this down my throat. Bacon, sausage, black pudding, bit of brown sauce on a butter. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like that on Saturday. No, it's Saturday, Friday. I went to the butcher shop for a treat. Every Friday. Oh no! I went Thursday and Friday this oh, week. Ooh, I went twice. No. I had two tw- two week two treats in a I week. I was wondering where that extra bit of tub had come from. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll dance it off. Liberian girl. Michael Jackson. Shamone. Okay. I mean, you know, we all know that you've not been using your effects. Pedal for yeah, you were boring me talking about potatoes, so I was just cycling through looking for things to do, thinking that when are we ever going to get through these ISOs? <laughs> End of show ISOs. Right, cool. Have you got any potato related ISOs this week? Uh, no, I've got, I've got, oh, yes, because this is in an Irish accent. Does that count? <sighs> Come on, yeah, have a good day. Have a good day. Okay, right next. Have a good day. Next, I thought that was a good ending. Nope. All right, well, maybe this, this is uh, arseholes. Our souls are immortal yes, and indestructible, right? I think I like that one the most. Our souls, Our souls. are mm. immortal yes, and indestructible, right? Mine seems to be. Yeah, that's, that's my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> you ever get a fire brigade pizza from Giacomo's? Mm. <laughs> that'll, uh, that'll 
that'll uh, put Delling Pod in his place. Delling Pod. <laughs> hey, Sheep Farm, Dom and Chris are on the Delling Pod this I week. No, they've made it, it at last. Ah. I, th- I thought it seems that was the first appearance. Right. And uh, I've not been, I've, I've fallen behind on the Sheep Farm podcast. We got a message, an uh, email from Alia this week. Oh, They're yeah. doing, um, did you read the email? Yeah, They're doing uh, something in Huddersfield, right. like a presentation. But I'm pretty sure I have Panto. It's I think it's the 9th of December. I'll have to confirm the date. Right, okay. But they're doing uh, some sort of um, presentation Events. in Huddersfield, but I don't think I'm available. But I'll have to check with, with Grandma. Okay. <laughs> right, so we're having our souls then. Our souls yeah. are immortal yes, and indestructible, right? Okay, that'll be it then. Can we All have right. Kamala saying, I eat our souls? No. <laughs> No. I'm sure Chat GPT or something would be able to do uh, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Outsource it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see a non rubble tackle, a rugby tackle, <laughs> uh, just stop oil protester? Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you're, in, <laughs> you're in luck. This French nun was having none of it when she rugby tackled a climate activist. The sister showed no mercy as she sprinted across the muddy construction site of a new Catholic church. Protesters were apparently trying to stop the church being built because of its carbon footprint. She's having none of it. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. Big unit. Yeah. For a sister. Good on it. Sister. Penguin. Mm. Um... I mean, do you not do you not think you can offset the carbon by the amount of souls you save? Absolutely. It depends if you put any value on a human soul. Obviously, Our not. souls are immortal. <laughs> we don't anymore, do we? In no. the main, um, no. carbon changes, uh, carbon change, global climate boiling, warming change is is the new god, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, going to. I'm down for a week. I mean, it's, nearly, it's practically the end What's of the, the show. End? Yeah, well, yeah. Can you just hold it in but for five more minutes? If I did some filler, we've not done an hour. No, in an hour and three minutes. Oh, bloody yeah, hell! The first like five minutes of the stream is just playing stupid clips. We're not even on. Do I do the headlines again, Matt? <laughs> you could just talk about like how we used to do. You could just talk without me having to throw things at you. Oh, what have you done this week, Matt? <laughs> I saw the Trolls movie yesterday. We've already said this. That's like, Is that new? Yeah, a, yeah new it's a trolls. trilogy. It's got sync in it this time. I don't believe Spoiler it. alert. It's true. A new trilogy. What do you uh, mean? No, no, no. I mean, this is the third one. This is the third one? Yeah. No. It's... Definitely third one. Definitely. No. 100%. I think there's been one. I've seen one more three. One. No, you haven't. At the cinema. No, I've yeah. seen Trolls, the first one, and then there's... Where the Bergens are bad, and then they become good. The that's big, the, that's the, big the first guys. one. That's the first one. The second one is where they save using rock music, the rock apocalypse. I think that's Trolls World Tour. And then this one is Trolls, something to do with fucking um, a boy band getting back together, and Branch, who is, I think, Justin Timberlake, Um gets his whole band back together they're all brothers apparently and he kept that secret oh. and then uh he was said he was in another band and they all come on and it's sync. you know joey fat one and the others i think uh they've got back together in irl haven't they sync sync did one of them die or in prison probably it's usually the case isn't it? probably 
I think that was Westlife, though, wasn't it? It's Westlife. One of them old. died in Westlife. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. I remember that. Mm. Sad. Sad times. Yeah. Yeah, so I saw that. We saw, um, <clears throat> as we discussed off air, um, what's that film I saw that was weird with Rory... Men. Kinnear in it, man. Yes, I can recommend Men no, as don't a watch weird men. film. It's yeah. so weird. Mm. It's super weird. And, I, you know, The Lighthouse for me was one of the weirdest films ever. Yeah. <coughs> this is uh, this is weirder. You know what we've not spoken about for a long time? But there's no new news on it. Raised by Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've just been left hanging, haven't we? I'm we just need, we need Yahoo does... to come into the void and... Yeah, yes. Resurrect it for Yahoo TV. <laughs> Yahoo TV, yeah. Lycos. <laughs> Lycos Extra Televisual Channel. Um, um, is it long enough since the end of the series to watch it again? I, that always concerns me. I mean, it, I mean, yeah. I mean, to begin with, I'm pretty sure that Ridley Scott directed the first couple of episodes. I think he of did, it. yeah, yeah. And then. Um, he was a producer for it overall, wasn't he? But <laughs> in the second series, they obviously stripped away 90% of the budget. Yeah, um, it shows. And it, it, it was like some of the the sort of CGI and it was horrific. But um, the story. Oh, it's, it's timeless. Mm, the story of giant worms. The hero's journey. The, yeah, that. the serpents. <laughs> Would you? Here's a question for you, because you're both fans of the show, but I haven't seen it. Would you rather they brought back Race by Wolves or the OA? Ah, you fuck, are you going to say that? For me, <sighs> Race by Wolves. How many series did Race by Wolves get? Two. two. Same as the OA. Is that the same? Did OA mm-hmm. get two or, or three? three? I think Maybe got three. three. Yeah, three. I can't <laughs> remember the third series. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? It's a close one. I think the OA got a bit shitter, um, but so did Race by Wolves. <laughs> but most of its budget was pulled. So I would say bring back Race by Wolves. Yeah, bring back Voyager, I would say. <laughs> Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Jane Wade, you will be mine. <laughs> I went to go and see, as well, the Killers of the Flower Moon last night. So that's oh, why yes. I'm extra tired, because I only got home after midnight. That's three and a half hours long. And I was saying it was in a full auditorium and nobody went for a wee. I didn't spot, well, actually, I sat quite at the front, so maybe some people went for a wee, but they were very quiet if they went. You know, you can hear the door going, can't you? And boom, 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 boom. It's just a, a theatre full of iron bladders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what happened to, what, did you just leave your missus at home? Uh, was it a date night? She, because it's been my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Hugh Jane. She, she uh, you goblin. She uh, <laughs> took me to the cinema, yeah, and nice. she had to sit through a three and a half hour film. Tell you what, that's love. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sit through that. Uh, my coccyx was hurting at the end of it. Really? really? Or did you do the old popcorn trick with your knob? What's that mean? <laughs> Said your coccyx was hurting. Mm-hmm. Well, you cut the bottom of the popcorn bucket out and stick your, your pecker oh, through it. Oh no! Me. Keep up. No, it's just, it's just gone over my head. It's too highbrow that joke. <laughs> <laughs> what's Evidently, the, what's the opposite of highbrow? Lowbrow. Lowbrow. <laughs> uh, gutter jokes. Gutter. Film. Why else would you listen to this shit? Um, uh, but you know, I, I, I go and watch that. That's an, it's an interesting story because it's true about the Osage 
Indians. Osage. Osage. Indians. Oh, yes. I don't know Sage. that track. Yeah, yeah nobody does. But um, so basically, what happened? <laughs> so they were. So they were. Obviously, they were pushed further and further. By west. who? By the Conquistadors or the the westward expansion? By the westward expansion, okay. and eventually they were given a reservation, which was the said to be the worst land in Oklahoma. Um, and lo and behold, oil started sprouting up from. Uh, the ground yeah. and at the, the late 1800s early 1900s per capita they were the richest people on earth um and there was something like i can't remember the name of this you know fancy car but there was like the most they had the most of this particular like a silver something car. Oh, Vauxhall astra maybe <laughs> yeah um but ba- basically what happened is there was a load of murders and um, they're all orchestrated in order to transfer wealth from the tribe, basically, or whatever they would have been called, to uh, white people, basically, oh. in the area. So the people married in to, you know, to these, uh, this, the Osage, basically. Yeah. And then they also murdered loads of them as well in order to, for the, so the white uh, party they inherited the wealth, basically. And then had, the ultimate puss party. The ultimate puss party. You dirty bitches! <laughs> but it was a bit long, so very good. It's a very good film. Very, very nicely shot. All the sets are impeccable. Just numb. Yeah, it's just too long, though. Yeah, too long. Too long for a film, unless it's Godfather. Unless it's Once Upon a Time in America. As I always Still say. Still not in it. Yeah. Has it. Has it got Leo in it? No, it's from the early eighties. Oh right. Is it called Bobby D in it? Yes. Is it? Is he a gorilla? <laughs> no, he always has something in his eyes, doesn't he? Um, so yeah, there's. So he's um, girding. Something. He's in it. He is. And there's a guy with red hair, and he's cool. And he was he was in Casino with Sharon Stone's Robert Redford. No. <laughs> um, he's, I think he's called James. I want to. I always think he's called James Cameron, but he's not called James Cameron. He's called James something. Or something, James. James Dean. <laughs> and he was in like, and he was in, oh. he was in loads of films in the nineties as well. Um, Carrot Top. Mm. And he was, I think he was in like, snipe a sniper film. With, I think he was in that Sylvester Stallone film with Sharon Stone. It was all. Oh, I, I thought that was Antonio Banderas. Yeah, but I think he might have been in it as well. Was it Bridget Fonda? <laughs> no, because no. he's a man. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna have to Google that. I can't think of a, a, a ginger guy in Casino. I used to love Casino. It's a great film. Can't picture a ginger guy. Yeah, he's the Sharon Stone's pimp boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, isn't it? Uh, hefty. No. Oh, quite quite slight. No, I'm thinking of one of the uh, the guy the guy who's married to Madonna. Family of actors. Brothers, not the Baldwins. Another one. Who's the worst Baldwin? Stephen. <laughs> is it Stephen? Uh, is there not one called Chris? <laughs> Dale. <laughs> Dale Baldwin. You can't laugh at your own Baldwin name. Uh, Stephen is uh, James, that, Woods. James Woods. That's him. 
Oh my god. <laughs> James Woods. <laughs> yeah. He's a big MSC. He's oh, a, James Woods. He's, he's a, in Once Upon a Time in America as well. Right, he's a base Sigma Chad. Is he? He's persona non grata in Hollywood now. He can't get a job. Oh, right. That's why we've not seen him then. No, he can't get a job because he's seen as uh, righty-tighty. Right. And Hollywood is lefty-loosey. Lefty-loosey. Is, isn't it? Yeah. Can't play those games. James Woods. James Woods. There you are then. Mm. Yeah. Didn't put him as a redhead. No. No, you know. As a redhead. Oh, well. Uh, shall we wrap this shit show up? Yeah. It's getting late. Sun's getting low. <sighs> it's nearly Halloween. Have you heard it of is. the? Hmm? Oh yes, it is. Yeah, a week. Uh, I need a costume for next Friday. Any ideas? A Halloween costume. I'm going to a Halloween party on Saturday as a hot dog. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Just put a bun around your cock. Well, no, because my children with the are going. Food. <laughs> 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 How, it? Is, is, it, is, it a shop, is it a shop bought hot dog costume? Of course, yeah. All oh, right. Okay, I need I like a costume it. for Friday. Well, what you got do? You, you just get your Jedi costume out of the cupboard for the yes. 50th time. Throw a sheet over your head and put yeah. some eye holes out. Right. Do, do the classic go as a goblin and just cut your, some armholes and a head hole out of a bin liner, paint your face green. Yeah. <laughs> Ever do that on Halloween? Uh, maybe, yeah, when I was a juvenile. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I did. That was my Halloween costume every year, Bin Liner. Yeah, Father Peter might be there, actually. It's at the club. All right, put a good word in for you before. <laughs> Great, thanks. Uh, yeah, Halloween's coming up. Have you heard of the cola borehole? The cola borehole. No. Is it a borehole? It is. It's the deepest borehole ever made. Okay. Right. Is it got cola in, in it? Sorry? Is it got cola in it? Uh, it's cola with a K. Okay. Special K. Roller cola. I don't know. I think the clip will be self-explanatory. It's, uh, you know, it's spooky. Halloween. Oh. This is the deepest man-made hole on Earth, and there are some disturbing claims about what was discovered during the drilling process. Over a span of 19 years, they reached a depth of seven and a half miles. This is where the rumors began to spread. The legend states that a microphone was lowered all the way down the hole capturing this audio did you wash your ass today <laughs> okay. i'm so disappointed got you dinner i was ready what do you expect your friends are slags the slags what do you expect from slags so if i go home and google cola borehole i'm not gonna learn what it is i'm sure it's a real thing that's been adapted for japes Okay. James. No. Anyway, we need to wrap this shit up. I hope you're entertained. Are you not entertained? Are you entertained? Yeah, reasonably so. Reasonably entertained. You entertained? Uh, well, yeah. First half, second half, not so much. <laughs> That's only, yeah. Well, we need. We'll we'll build back better next week. Building back better. I would say. Mm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Should we uh, fuck off into the night? Yeah. I think that's what we should do. Bedtime. It is. The sun's getting low. The camera is fading out. Uh, no one talks about buttered sausage anymore, do they? We're talking Except about you, buttered though. sausage. Oh, look at this guy, BC. I'm tired, boss. I am tired. Yeah. Well, we'll be back next week, won't we? Yeah. Boot your teacher out of it. literally a communist. Yeah, I was with somebody. 
I might throw this in. I might throw this in just for Japes. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil, that uh, uh, and it really bothers me uh, 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 because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect. Uh, okay, see you next week. We will be there. We will, we will be, be there. there. Do you care, though? We will be there. PSG, we will be there. Anna El Etifaki, see you soon. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the now. yeah, we better have fuck off now, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, it's game over, man. I was going to put him in the Oh my god, it's like a dog. No. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Sayonara, fuckos. Good night, all. Bye. Our souls are immortal. Yes. And indestructible, right?